Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Bluefish Design in Tempe, Arizona. Bluefish Design is one of the top full-service ad agencies in America. They will help you with branding, they'll help you with logos, interactive and digital medias. If your company that's been around for a while and wants to rebrand, call them up. If you're a company that's brand new and starting out, call them up. They're not trapped in the 80s or the 90s. They're here for today, tomorrow, and the future, and they will take your company there. So please check them out online at www.bluefish.com. That's B-L-U-F-I-S-H.com. And now for today's episode, it's our year-end summary. We're going to drink some Prosecco. We're going to some cool Italian wines. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you very much. I handle and sitting on normal-sized chairs. It's great now actually <laughs> i don't feel 12 feet off the ground anymore smashing my knees into the table it was thought it was funny you sat on the tall chair and i was sitting on the the, the short computer chair so yeah. are, you, are you gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. wait for it there it is and there's one and all over my house <laughs> it's now all over the place it's officially new year's eve hey hey even though we won't post this until the day after new year's probably yeah a few days later <laughs> i guess we could post this one today there's okay. no reason depending on how uh, bad it goes or yeah. good it goes i could always push the episode eight we could flip up eight and nine that's there probably would be, that'd probably be a good idea yeah i mean at least get something out there to be like you know, it's New Year's. Just pop some bubbles. In this case, Prosecco. Get this out of the way. All right, cork's gone. It's actually one, it's actually one of the first years that I've drank in a while on New Year's. Drank anything? Is it really? I typically don't like to go out on New Year's. Yeah, uh, I stopped going out. Not like out out. So like Sarah and I went to like a real fancy dinner last year, and man, we drank a lot and we had a great thing. But then we didn't really go like out and party and celebrate. You know, actual like ball dropping midnight time. I think the fact that we're in the booze business, it's not a special occasion to go out and drink booze. Yeah. There's a lot of people that work normal jobs. They have families. They get to enjoy four or five holidays a year, which they get to let loose maybe, you know, whether it's uh, 4th of July, New Year's, Christmas. They get tomorrow off. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. There's certain times when they could just say, but for us, I think we avoid the general crowd. I think, yeah, especially with like how much we drink going up to midnight. It's kind of just like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, all right, midnight's here, and all right, move on to the next day. I don't need I don't an know. excuse to have a cocktail either. Like, that's true. That's the thing. Is I think some of these other people are like, well, I'm going to drink this Friday because it's New Year's. It's like, well, I'm going to drink because I woke up and I was able to get out of bed today. <laughs> There's a lot of people that had a lot of mimosas today at 7, 8 a.m., probably getting ready for tonight. I know a number of our friends actually stopped going out on New Year's Eve, and they go out on New Year's Day. New Year's yeah. Day is actually typically a pretty big, fun go-out day for people. Yeah, because you know, it's to get the day off, and there's a bunch of good football games out and it's just everybody's still kind of recovering for the most part so they want to keep drinking in the morning i wonder how the whole champagne thing started for new year's i don't know like what that's a, that's a good thought <laughs> because that you think new year's you think champagne like there's you know yeah. the, the, the emotes on you know your itunes and everything like that are uh yeah it's a it's a massive it's a little champagne bottle like that's you think new year's you think bubbles yeah i think maybe it's probably just because uh you know, it's just ringing in the new year. You think in Germany they celebrate with beer? They might. Pop well, big bottles of beer? They could. They actually, they put corks in some of their beers over there. Oh, they yeah. just, you know what they do? They probably just pop the cork off a keg and start drinking it. Yeah, they just tap the they keg tap the real keg. hard and that's it sprays everywhere. Totally. That's I can see years. that and everybody just holds their glass out and tries to like let the beer rain into their glass. That sounds like a German New Year kind of a thing. 
it was funny. We went to the Musical Instrument Museum. Yeah. And it's a... We'll get into this maybe in another episode a little bit because it's one of the most amazing museums there is. It's awesome. It's it's awesome. It's the history of the musical instruments of every single region. So you're over in the German section and they're showing all the the Germans drink or uh, playing instruments. And in every video, there was alcohol as well. <laughs> it was That's not surprising. It was like six German people sitting around a table, like doing some singing and some slap footing, like whatever they do, you know, when they're like... Were they all wearing Lederhosen yes. too? They do the like, little dance, but next to every single one of them, there was a beer. Of course, probably people in the background holding pretzels and wiener schnitzels. And, and then they went, there was another scene with them doing some other instruments, and sure as hell, every single person had a beer next to them. It was the only <laughs> video in the entire museum where every single person had a beer next to them while they were playing their instrument, was the German section. That seems about right. That seems very German of them. Yeah. <laughs> Because I think what, the Germans had a lot of like uh, accordion style. And uh, honestly, I, I can imagine only listening to some of that music, you'd have to be really drunk. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to squeeze these two things together and make out a weird sound. Oh, cool. Now I've got an accordion. So the nickname growing up for my grandmother was Polka Grandma. That was my name for it. It was, it was always Polka Grandma. I go to the, my grandmother's house or I go to Polka Grandma's house. <laughs> and because she always had polka music playing nonstop in the house. Is that like big like tubes, not big tubes, like big brass instruments, like trumpets uh, and bas- no. what are those big giant things I'm thinking of in my head? Like um, an oboe, not, um, not oboes, uh, like a wind instrument. Oh, I can't think of what it uh, is. Like uh, a tube. It's not, I'm not thinking a tuba, but there's another one for it. But Yeah, there's um, a lot of accordion. A lot of I mean, accordion. And then dancing and uh, keyboard, but it's like an electronic keyboard kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell you what, when, when this is done, we'll play a little accordion music. Oh, jeez. Maybe I can make that the intro music today. Yeah, play some polka. <laughs> play some polka. That'd be fun. We should do that during uh, so, uh, Oktoberfest next year, and all the entire intro will just be polka stuff. <laughs> but now to think about it, Grandma always had a coffee mug filled with wine or something that she was drinking, so she probably was drunk having probably to like, listen, listening yeah. to polka music. Yeah, could you imagine listening to that all day long? It's kind of the same sounding thing, too. Like it's uh, it, it reminds me of mariachi music in a way where mariachi music to me probably sounds all the same. Now, obviously it's different, but polka music is just like the whole time. So I'm like, okay, it, it sounds something exactly like you would listen to in the background of a festival. Yeah, it, you're right. Under a giant tent eating pretzels and well, drinking beer. When I've been down to like Rocky Point and they have like the band playing, it's not, it's almost like a fish song. It's one long, like hour long song. Yeah. It's not like they played a whole bunch of different ones. It's yeah. all just kind of blends together. Yeah, when you only have, you know, like I said, like brass instruments, there's only so many different tunes you can make out of it, you know? <laughs> True. And yeah, I, that is something with the music instrument music. And some of those cultures only had one or two or three instruments, so their music all was very similar. Yeah, yeah. I thought uh, some of the cool things I saw at that musical instrument museum was um, like there's some like a lot of uh, like not Native American stuff, but like original natives to certain parts of the countries. Like in Brazil, they have the bitabau, and I'm again probably butchering that, but it looks like this little coconut thing on the bottom with like two strings attached to it of what looks like a broom handle, and it makes a crazy bunch of different sounds, and it's what they use in like capoeira and music like that, and it's just kind of cool that they would sit there and be like, all right, we'll take that stick and take these strings and take this little thing, and they made an awesome little instrument out of it. I like the way they broke down the individual regions of each of these countries too, so as you went to the China section, it actually had the different provenances in the history of those and the different music to each one of them. Mm. You know, as we know, the United States, the music in New Orleans was very different than the music that was coming out of, you know, Detroit. 
Yeah, you know, which is very different than music coming out of yeah, New York. Steel, steel guitars in the South, and that was something that also fascinated me was the uh, the Native American section. How they had the the different tribes, tons had of wind stuff, such different music though. Like the 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 Central Plains and the West Coast, it was a lot of like rhythmic drum beating. Yeah, a lot of like that warm like drum beating. Yeah, um, you do notice that one thing about every culture, they always have one instrument they beat, like a drum. Yes, like some kind of it's you know just there to keep a rhythm. It's probably the easiest to make as well. Yeah, you know, stringed instruments probably came along a little bit later. Whereas I mean, you can just give give me a stick and a rock, and I'll keep a beat. Well, stringed instruments <laughs> are probably the craziest of all of them because yeah, like you know, you take a brass instrument, you turn a like a tube this direction or a tube that direction, it makes different sounds. But you know, the difference between a guitar and a violin is night and day, and it's the same concept: strings and wood. Yeah, a couple of these bagpipes were fun, like crazy looking. They were literally like <laughs> a, an, an hollowed out animal with like. You ever notice the drunker a country gets, the weirder their instruments get? <laughs> you could you could tell a couple of them were like, "Bet you can't make a you know an instrument out of that." Hold my beer. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I would love to see if I can't remember what the original bagpipe was made of, but I think it was a sheep's. Stomach. Yeah, stomachs are bladders or stuff like yeah. that. Like, like huh, well, that's the weirdest concept to me is, oh, well, we're going to take this dead stomach and squeeze it till the air comes out. That's a drunk thing to have done. Somebody stepped on it, somebody there's, squeezed it, and they went, that makes a cool sound. There's no way some guy sat around sober and did that shit. No way. No there's way. No, <laughs> 0% then, chance. And then another one was like, hey, buddy, I bet if you stick a tube in it, it'll make a different sound too. And they just stuffed a or, pipe the, into it. The weirder <laughs> instruments are where they drank a lot. Scotch. Scotland. Yep. You know, I mean, yeah. That's, that the, the more right. the more you consume, the weirder your instruments got. I've got a weird thing. What came out of France? Like, what instrument came out of France? Like, I, I can't think of anything. And I'm sure there's people like, oh my god, you know, the violin. Did. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure the violin came out of like. I think, oh, I don't actually know. I'd be guessing if I even thought about it. I felt bad because you know we spent five hours there and I barely scratched the surface. I mean, yeah, you, dude, it's huge. You, we spent so much time just in the United States section because I mean, you got everything from the blues, rock and roll, the Woodstock era. You got bluegrass. You got the hillbilly music stuff in the mountains, in the Appalachian area. Then rap started coming out. Now it's up to EDM. They had it was nuts the amount of different types of music that they had just for the United States section. So well, we spent the most time in the United States, and then they also had um, like a, a section that was based on the artists instruments so it wasn't so much on the country it was okay here's lennon's piano mm -hmm. here's bb king's guitar here's they had a one of the drums that was played during the olympics in the chinese olympics yeah they had a bunch of grammys i had like roy orbison's notes that he wrote uh some of his famous i was obsessed with roy orbison was a blue eye girl or whatever it is uh brown eye girl uh, you my brown eye girl was that roy orbison <laughs> yeah Maybe. yeah so they had they had like his lyrics written down, and next to it, it was the the actual Grammy he won for that song, which was kind of cool. Because cool. I, I had never seen a Grammy up close before. Yeah, they're so. pretty big, if I'm not mistaken. No, oh, no, I'm tiny. thinking. Of, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the Emmy. That's the lady holding the sphere thing. Yeah, Grammy's not that big. Yeah, I was really surprised you could fit it in the palm of your hand. I mean, they were tiny. Yeah, so. yeah. Now the uh, I I can think of like a couple, maybe like a couple instruments made in America, but the one I think of mostly like an American instrument, I think is the banjo. I feel like that had to have been invented in the South. I can't remember, but... A, a lot of the ones, they had been modified, so it might have had history somewhere else, but what we did here or did in another country, like when they showed uh, all the different bagpipes, bagpipes were played all over Europe, even though we you think of bagpipes, you, you think, think of Scotland. Scotland, but you know, you got the, the Norse that were using it, you got people in... 
you know, the Scandinavian countries that were using it. There was a lot of different people using those. So they actually had a full bagpipe section. They had bagpipes from all over the world in there. That's crazy. So something like different types of uh, uh, brass instruments have been changed and adjusted to based on our style of music. Like they had like big band versus the blues versus mm -hmm. the, the jazz section. And they had a huge section of just harmonicas. Oh, yeah. Harmonica. Yeah, that was another one. That's got to have been invented in America probably too. I bet jazz alone probably brought a lot of unique sounds and instruments to the table more than any other music in America. It was it's really cool. I recommend going to. We'll we'll talk more about it some other time. Let's talk about some wine. Yeah, we we didn't we went to the we didn't go to the wine museum. I mean, or, <laughs> I, there is a wine museum though in Bordeaux now, isn't there? There is. Yeah. So what? How does that it's work? Do you be, think they just show it and like you can look at it? It's not like you could try it or anything. They got to have sections where you can try stuff along the way, but it's got to be the history of it yeah. with with integration of trying certain wines probably of the times is it only french or do you think they incorporate everybody if it's knowing it's the french <laughs> right i'm gonna guess it's mostly the french no we don't need other people out here it's just ours <laughs> i mean i'm is it i don't know is it the history of bordeaux is it the history of global wine or i don't know i just know it's in bordeaux sounds so. like sounds like we need to take a field trip sometime oh that'd be a fun field trip Right. So, yeah. So for, you know, popping a little bubbly in honor of New Year's, we did a uh, we're actually doing Prosecco instead of champagne because uh, our next podcast, uh, we got a buddy coming on who's uh, represents a bunch of champagne. So we'll do that then. But uh, so you, you used to rep these or nope, nope. Just a cool little Prosecco you found. I represented wines that this family made. Mm. However, I never actually represented this particular one. So you do see this out there where. Some of the bigger producers or certain people will actually make wine or two or three different labels. And especially the Europeans, they're all about exporting their wines to America. So you think about it, you come up with a Prosecco label that's very popular in America. Why not come up with a second label, give it to a second importer, give it to somebody else, and now you can increase your sales by another 20, 30, 40%. <laughs> and that is very, very common with producers where they will make two or three versions of a wine and they'll actually give it to different importers. Often they'll, they'll, they'll actually offer it sometimes to one. Like I believe this was offered to the importer that I was working with and they said, why would I represent this one? I already have your other one. Uh, They're the same thing. Yeah, You're just going to cannibalize your sales. My sales reps would go out and they would replace our own product with your, with own, your product. own product. So you're not doing any yourself any and good. It might be a hair cheaper, I imagine. Yeah. So, but... They were able to take this then and give it to somebody else and let them sell it. So I, I can see from both sides. I can see yeah. it from our side is that whenever I saw this, it had left a little sour taste in my mouth. I was like, ah, freaking wine. Because mm -hmm. I, I knew that that was like a dollar cheaper also than we were, what we were selling. <laughs> yeah. The, the one thing that I do, I find it weird, is this is a really unique looking bottle. It almost looks like a, it's like a pirate bottle, kind of like Gar. something that would have been made a long time ago. Yeah. You know, it's too wide and it's weird. It's a short, squatty bottle. Short, yeah, it looks like somebody pushed the bottle down and it popped out. <laughs> you know, well, champagne bottles altogether are very difficult to store in a traditional wine setting because all the champagne bottles are different sizes and shapes. What was that? You got aces of spades and you got it's the crazy one. crazy bottle. What about the one that's got the metal, though? I know which one you're thinking of, but I can't think of the name of it. But in my head, I see that metal bottom. Yes. It's yeah. like, it's like. All metallic. It's got to be a, such a waste of natural resources on this planet. Probably. I mean, do the Ace of Spades, isn't that totally a metal bottle? Yeah. yeah. It's like Beaujolais or something like that is like the name of Maybe. that one that's 
uh, it's all wrapped in metal. Um, but God, that's just such a waste. Yeah. But and if you're buying that, like you can really stack that in your cooler. I mean, I guess if you're just sitting it upright in your fridge, but. Yeah, because if you put this one, this one will be upright in your fridge, and it's going to take away two bottles worth of spots. I find... But I imagine everybody's just going to pound this. Nobody's going to sit there and sell or this or store it or anything. Well, these bottles are so wide, they don't fit in a normal-sized box. No. So in my back room where I store my wines, I go to consolidate boxes, and I can't consolidate these bottles into any other box because they're so wide, they don't fit in a normal-sized box. They don't even fit in a burgundy box. Yeah, no, there's no way. This thing is so... It's it's not even like normal-shaped in the middle of it. <laughs> Then, you know, with the pressure, you actually have to have a, a heavy-duty bottle. If you notice, all champagne bottles are always heavier. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah, because it's like, I think, if I'm not mistaken, champagne's like 90 PSI or something in the bottle. I'm not sure the exact number, but I know that you have to have a, a, a more structurally intact bottle. Yeah. Um, we actually did an import once where we brought a container over, and they put all the Proseccos in the front end of the container. They loaded all the rest of the wine in the back end of the container, so when they put it on the scales, it completely screwed up the scales of the truck, <laughs> and it made the balance screwed up. They actually had to, we had to pay for somebody to come in, break the container in, like to get into it, unload every single thing out of it, and restack it evenly with the, with the bubbles, because the bubbles were too set far to one side, and it wasn't making weight. That's crazy. Yeah, costs a lot of money. Yeah, I imagine. It has to do with how they pack it. And I, most people are smart when it comes to packing this kind of stuff. But yeah, that, but that's got you got a lot of faith in a lot of people to stack that right. <laughs> true. Because, I mean, this is going through a lot of hands. I mean, it's going from the winery over to the port. To the, I mean, they're going to consolidate it into containers, and it's going to land. And, I mean, there's a lot that goes into logistics of getting the wine over here. Yeah, and I imagine the metrics of it, too. What it weighs kilograms there versus pounds out here. Like, it might throw a scale off a little. Like, it's easier for them out there. Maybe it's different out here. Yeah, I'll... I'll it's amazing how much work goes in from the winery to get the grapes, to produce the grape, or excuse me, produce the wine, bottle the wine, move the wine, label the wine, do everything, get it on a boat, ship it out here, put it on a train out here to get to a store in Phoenix or Cali or wherever you're from, and cost $6. <laughs> I mean, a wine that you're... And they still make a profit on it. I mean, a wine that they're putting together for a one or two euros, by the time it comes over here, it's going to be... 10 bucks a bottle. Yeah. Because of it's going through so many people's hands up the chain. And plus, it's just expensive to ship it. Plus, you got to pay all the taxes. I know you got to pay more taxes on bubbles. Yeah. In America, you have to pay a lot more. Yep. And then each state is different. Yep. I know that in some states, you pay more if your wine is more than 14.5% alcohol. And you got to pay your, you know, you got to pay your national taxes. You got to pay your state taxes on it. There's, yeah. Everybody's got to put their hand in the, so in the, the, the wine jar. The, yeah. The crazy one is, is, um, and obviously we have exemptions from the state, but uh, on FedWise, carbonation is like $1.50 a gallon or something like that. Um, and I actually think it's more now, but uh, they consider uh, your big price break is what's considered wine and fortified wine on your federal taxes. So the weird one is this. Uh, the federal government considers 14% or more of fortified wine, which increases your taxes a lot, which is pretty much all standard red wine is over 14%. So the U.S. government looks at it as fortified. So it doesn't matter if it's port or regular wine. It looks at it as the exact same thing, basically, tax-wise. It's really interesting. But it's weird that they consider carbonation to be one of those things that they need to tax way higher. And I always wonder, and I've never found this out, I wonder if they did that because they didn't want to import, you know, sparkling wine from the other country, or, uh, you know, whether it was champagne or Cremant or one of those things, and let the American industry grow and just never got rid of it, or what? I'd like to, I actually got to find that one out one day, why the taxes on anything carbonated wine-wise is way more expensive. It's just a weird thing to me. You know, there's 
when prohibition ended and they left it up to each state to make their own laws, but so many of these states had no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And especially when it comes to wine. I mean, you're 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 taking a a dry Bible Belt state. I mean, by dry, a non a non drinking Bible Belt state that maybe produces some whiskey in the mountains, and you're going to put them in charge of taxing wine. Yeah. I mean, and, and coming up with laws and regulations for that, and you're going to come up with laws and regulations based on beers, and the business has changed. Distilling and what alcohol percentage does what. And, and think about how much it's changed since prohibition ended. Before it was basically one type, one or two or three types of liquor. You know, you basically had you know whiskey, you had rye based whiskeys, you had you know it was, it was like bourbon and bourbon and whiskey yeah. were like the main drinks. You know, maybe some vodka. I know it was like brandy was kind of big because that was with grapes in some areas. But you had to be kind of, I think, a little more prestigious that, to drink brandy. You ever? It feels like brandy and cognac and things like that really took a hit. Like probably because of prohibition, because you would think of really fancy rich people with a snifter holding it like in the cup of their hand, shaking it, smoking a cigar with the monocle, saying things like <laughs> there's and a lot of cheap casually sipping it and there's a ton of cheap brandy I, out there. And there I can tell you I don't know anybody that drinks brandy. I don't know it's anybody. An, it's an older person thing. My yeah. I had a neighbor growing up that she used to drink like cheap ass brandy. She get handles of it, and that's just what she used to just drink. Yeah. It's just, I just don't know anybody that does it. I think I only know one person that's ever brought a bottle, and it was Joe, and he had that 80-something cognac, or uh, Armagnac in this case. But I've never seen anybody anywhere at any time order a brandy. And I'm 32 now, so it's, it's a good amount of time to at least kind of look at certain people and be like, so, who wants a brandy? Which I, Nobody. I feel like... Just like anything else, then we're poised for it to come back in the next five years. There's there's some uh, uh, some hipsters out there right now sipping on some brandy. Yes, just like mm, I'm gonna bring this back. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I imagine there's a few of those. Well, well, like you know, stuff like vodka was went through its resurgence. Now gin is going through a resurgence. Gin's going through a great Big resurgence. Time. I you love know? gin. I really, I'm a gin dude. <laughs> I I I. I like certain ones. Yeah. You know, it's funny how certain things kill certain industries. Like, I thoroughly believe Fireball really crushed Jaegermeister in America. Like, I don't know what Jaeger sales are, but I had to imagine they lost 50% when Fireball came out. Because instead of the go to, everybody's go to shot in the industry when I was around was Jaeger. And then all of a sudden, Fireball came out, and I've never seen anybody take a Jaeger shot in the last five years anywhere. I don't even see Jaeger on shelves in most places that I always went to. It's all now Fireball. yeah, I think also you've gotten older. You're not necessarily hanging out with the 21-something crowd. Yeah, but they're definitely not drinking Jaeger. I was surprised. Like, two or three years ago, I was at my friend's house for Thanksgiving. We were prepping Thanksgiving dinner, and he had his little girlfriend over that was much younger. And <laughs> she was legal, but definitely much younger. And, uh, yeah, she was, she was like, making us do uh, Jaeger bombs. Okay. I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I actually couldn't eat Thanksgiving dinner. The next day, because I was so sick because of all the Jaeger bombs the night oh, before. It I was gross. Like Jaeger bomb. I never I, liked I, I, Jaeger I never, either, though. I didn't like it either when I was young, but for some reason, I don't know. I would only I drink Jaeger if I thought I was going to get a cold. I would treat it like cough syrup. I'm pretty sure it is cough syrup, <laughs> and they just is. added alcohol to it. And I bet, I bet in Germany somewhere they were like, "We're losing all of our sales to beer. What are we going to do with Jaeger? I don't know. We can't keep marketing as cough syrup. Let's well, make it a booze." Well, you know, Jaeger is traditionally it's an Amaro. It's the same. It it's the Amaro? same family as Montenegro. It's the same family as Sabona, as Chenar, Fernet. They're they're That's all. Crazy. I they're, didn't know that. You know, Fernet, Amaros, and Jaeger are all related. They're all cousins. All right. You know, 
each country does things a little bit differently. But yeah, that's that's a that's that's a German tomorrow. That's crazy. I know, right? It's funny though, because as much as I think of Jägermeister, I now think when everybody says Jäger, what pops up in my head is not just the booze, but do you ever see Pacific Rim? Mm, yes. So all the monsters were called Jägers, or was it no? All the uh, all the the robots were Jägers. See, I think of that YouTube video from like ten years ago with the meathead going Jäger bombs, Jäger bombs, <laughs> Jäger bombs. Oh my god, mom, where's my creatine? <laughs> <laughs> How about, about my my new haircut? I forgot. That's about what that it was. Video. Holy it was crap. called my new haircut. My new haircut. <laughs> yep, mom. Jäger <laughs> <laughs> bombs, Jäger bombs, Jäger bombs. Wow, that's what I that's think a of. Throwback. <laughs> totally. Holy crap! <laughs> but every time I hear it, that's what I think of. So what? <laughs> Great, I'm gonna watch that later. Right. Like, so uh, this is weird to me, only because I'm looking at your glass. How come yours is still bubbly and mine's flat? <laughs> um, like I don't, immediately, we have the same glass. I have no idea. Maybe because I poured mine more recently. Oh, uh, did you just pour yourself some? Yeah, I poured a little bit more. It's one thing I, I noticed about prosecco is is it? Do they do any like the natural method? Mm-mm. So it's all force carbonated. Yep. Okay. So so we wanted to talk briefly about bubbles on this episode. Because there's so many different styles out there. There's a tons of great affordable ones. I hate when people get snobby about the word champagne, but I understand. When you drink a great champagne, it is such a different product than what this is. Yeah. There's just, there's just a different level of finesse when it comes to a champagne. However, these are all bubbles. So... If you're going to a party, often I will bring a great bottle of Prosecco or I'll bring a great cava with me. I won't always bring a champagne because you're going to pay a lot more for the champagne typically. Yeah. And I'm cheap. (laughs) (laughs) So, but if you're doing mimosas on, you know, Sundays or you're doing Easter mimosas or something, you don't want to use champagne for a mimosa. You can get away with using Proseccos or Cavas. They're great. Now, and they're very inexpensive. Now, the difference is, so so Prosecco is your Italian sparkling wine. They do have other types. They make Franciacorta. Franciacorta is their version of like a champagne. They also make something called uh, Trento Doc. Trent- that's like, that's our high-end stuff? Trento Doc is Trentino, the area where your Proseccos are coming from, trying to step up and make a champagne style. So so Trento Doc is going to be regional grapes fermented method champenois. They've been okay. disgorged. They've been riddled. They've been done. I mean, years. So they do have years like a is high going to prosecco, basically. But it's not prosecco. This is actually. Oh, it's totally another. This name. is method champenois. It's, okay. it's called Trento Doc, like D O C. Uh, okay. So when I was over there, I got a chance to try a lot of the new Trento Docs, and they are fantastic. But they're going to be expensive because of the years that have gone into also making these. The ones that we were looking at, they were telling us that we were going to be wholesaling. 30 or 40 a bottle. Ooh, okay. Which means it's going to hit a restaurant list, maybe around $100 on a restaurant list or 50, 55 retail. And that's pretty hard to sell on a list with uh, champagne. And it's something that they don't recognize. We were talking in the, one of the last episodes about people in their freaking Vuv. Yeah. You know, you put Trento Duck next to Vuv, you're not, you're going to sell Vuv. You're going to sell Vuv that's 100 it. times out of 100 probably. Yeah. So. The price point's going to hurt that wine out in the market. Franchise Cortes are fairly affordable still. I'm sure you've heard of Cado Bosco. Yes. That, that's one of the, the more famous ones. Um, fantastic. I love Franchise Cortes from Italy. Okay. So there's, you, and you're starting to see more of them. Um, when we were working with one of the big 
uh, package retailers recently, they said, we need more Francia Corta. Go find me some, go find me some. So my last uh, Provine trip, we wandered around just tasting a ton of Francia Cortas. So these are kind of the, the different levels. So introductory bubbles from Italy, I would always say is Prosecco. However, there's also Proseccos that are very sought after. There's, there's a Prosecco vineyard in Italy that is the most expensive vineyard in all of Italy, more expensive than a Barolo vineyard. That's crazy. <laughs> yes. It's called the, uh, the Cartizze vineyard. Is that the one you poured? Uh, it's the single vineyard one? You yes. used to have a few bottles Car- Cartizze of? is in like, a, like it's a million dollar an acre vineyard. I mean, plus. I mean, it's... That's crazy to think that one of your most expensive grapes in all of Italy is a Prosecco. Yeah. And it's not that expensive of a bottle, if I remember. Not like on the crazy end of expensive, it, but... It, it's the most expensive Prosecco next to a champagne. It sits next to cheap champagne. Yeah. Not cheap, but so that, affordable. That's, that blows my mind. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you would think, oh, the most expensive grape in Napa is this. You're like, oh, two, three, four, five hundred dollar bottles. But in this case, the most expensive vineyard in Italy is what, a $40, $50 Prosecco? So is it I, even that high? <laughs> I believe that Venom for their wine club this month is using one of those single vineyard Proseccos on their wine club. Just I remember sh- drinking and thinking it was amazing. Yeah. So, so B-Saw was the producer I used to represent. And they had two separate ones, two separate single vineyards. They had the Crede and the Cartizze. Crede was a little more stony, a little more minerally, where the Cartizze had a little more residual sugar. But that Cartizze was... Like I said, one of the most expensive vineyards there is, but they still did it. They 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 force carbonated it. Okay, so is Prosecco, for people who are listening, if you want to maybe explain it, it's not ever done met the Champenois. It's not naturally fermented in the bottle. They, they, they ferment the wine. They add carbonation to it, just like you would a soda machine, like a soda stream. Yeah. They bu- or most of your beer now is done... Force carbonated. Force carbonated. You go to a brewery. They, they brew the beer, they ferment it, then they just carbonate it and ship it out. They don't wait for it to carbonate itself in a bottle. Yeah, especially because they also don't want to lose their yeast strain. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so basically they're adding carbonation into this and then boom, hits the market. So they're always super affordable. I love using Proseccos for just afternoon parties. Personally, I actually like to use Cava's a lot for uh, mimosas. The reason I go to Cava, Cava's the Spanish version of sparkling wine different grapes, but they traditionally do method champenois, and a lot of times cava has a lot bigger bubbles. It's a little bit more lively. I find, now this, this is, I'm generalizing, this is not the, yeah, this is yeah, not no, the rule. This, is, this, not, this isn't black and white. You know, there's, there's tons yeah. of shades of gray here. But traditionally, I find that cavas will have a lot bigger bubbles, and so when you put orange juice in it, it tends to be a little more lively, whereas Prosecco sometimes has a little more fine bubbles and a little... T- which that's so crazy to me, only because, you know, when you force carbonate something, you get those big, fat, rounded bubbles versus, you know, when the, you do that method champenois style, you get the real tiny bubbles that it like it hits the bottom of the glass, like right where the stem and the glass comes together. And it's just shooting like little tiny bubbles up as fast as possible. It's real viscous, you know, I mean, like I poured this Prosecco and uh, it just basically it didn't go flat. Like, I mean, you could taste it and there's still a lot of carbonation in it, but it's not bubbling at all anymore. Does the temperature, you probably don't know this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Does, I, I does, probably actually might on this one. Does the temperature of your wine dictate how well the bubbles hold up? Uh, absolutely. Because um, this is not as cold as it should be. I threw this in the fridge only about an hour before you got here. Oh, so it's like not when, ice it's, cold. when it's out in the open. If uh, this is sort I, of. If this is ice cold, would it hold up bubbles better mm. in the glass? Then 
I don't know on that, but I will tell you the temperature of how, because I force carbonate my wines. And I will tell you, I put some into our freezer, like where I keep it at like about 38 degrees and force carbonate it. It's very different in bubbles than when I do it outside, like when our in our basic room where it's, you know, roughly 65 degrees. And it also does it, but the absolute biggest difference is alcohol content. The alcohol content dictates the bubbles a lot. Like you can't force carbonate things over a certain alcohol percentage. It'll literally, the bubbles will just shoot off and disappear very fast. But if you have a very low alcohol content, the, uh, the wine itself or whatever will hold that carbonation for a lot longer of a time. So tell you what, I'm going... It is a, it's a weird science. It I'm, took me a few years to figure it out. I'm going to put a pressure cork on this. I'm going to throw this in the freezer for about 15 minutes. Okay. We'll come back to it, and I'm going to see if the bubbles hold up better when it's a lot colder. Because cool. this did go flat almost instantly in my glass. Yeah. So why don't you go do that, and I will attempt to name these next wines that we are about to drink, which will go horribly wrong. So after, so we kind of decided that with the Prosecco, um, we were going to do some Italian wines. Uh, and we decided to do uh, a brand called Terradora. And um, these are some amazing wines from basically that middle southern area of France. And right now we're having a Tarassi from, what is this, 2000? Yeah, 2009 Tarassi and a 2009 La Crima Christi. Uh, maybe? Did I get that right? Ish? That was pretty good. All right, we'll go with that. Cool. So these are some absolutely amazing wines, and Damien knows a hundred times more about this than I will. So it's funny. Yeah. The, my one specialty is Italian wines, which is the one thing that most people don't have a specialty in. Most people, it's going to be France. Most people that are studying Somme. If you look, watch the movie Somme, they're going through it. They're studying all the regions of France. They're talking about the, the cruise of Beaujolais. They're talking about communes of Barola or of Burgundy. Yeah. How often do they bring up Tarassi or the regions of Barolo? Uh, you, I think that's pretty much it. Is what you'd get Barolo, Brunello, and I don't know, like Amarone, because those are the three big ones of Italy. So, in, when it comes to Italy, the most known wines, of course, are going to be Sangiovese or Chianti. You're going to get into stuff like Pinot Grigio. You're going to get into Proseccos are becoming very popular. And for the collectors, you have the, the bees, Barolo, Barbaresco, and Brunello. Yeah. Now, once you start talking to the real Italian geeks... <laughs> You're smiling on this one. I am, because we have this thing we call the Barolo of the South. Now, it's just like when we talk about Gattinara, how you get excited about Gattinara, which is like the Barolo of the North. Yeah. Tarassi is a vineyard or an area in southern Italy in Campania that is only about 40 miles away from where most of the Alianico is grown. Most of the Alianico is grown in an area called Basilicata. Those tend to be very aggressive, very bold. Um, I opened up one, a Paternoster one time that was like 15 years old and it was still like, that was when I, dis when I invented the term, my mouth just grew a five o'clock shadow. It was that wine that did it. Cause my mouth literally felt like it just grew a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> now, you go 40 miles inland or into the Tarassi area, it really showcases that the Alianico grape can take on Nebbiolo-esque qualities. That is why they call this the Barolo of the South. This actually has a lot of the similar laws of Barolo. You have to age it for a certain amount of years before you can release it, both in bottle and in barrel. You're limited as to what you can put into it. You're limited on the yield, the tonnage you can bring in per hectare of fruit. You actually cannot over farm this fruit on Tarasi, be called Tarasi DOCG. 
Tarasi DOCG is the only DOCG of the region. And these wines are very, very age-worthy. You could sit on these for 10, 15, 20 years. A lot of producers don't release these wines for a good solid, you know, eight years because they know the age, the potential of a Tarasi. Now, for people listening, what region is this? So, like I said, it's southern Italy, um, kind of towards the middle. The region is Campania. Is where so it's like, can be. you think of like any major cities? How far is it from Rome? For like people trying to picture Italy in their head, where is this? If if you're looking at Italy like it's a boot, yeah. it's the ball of the ankle. Oh, so like above the heel? Yes. Oh, okay. So cool. so not the heel, not like out towards the tip of the back of the yeah. heel. It's not the toe. It's it's right where the ball of the ankle would right be. Right where Achilles would be attaching, basically. So so if you're in like Napoli. It'd be like uh, due east with a little touch of north, maybe. But it's okay. kind of east. It's right in that, that lower center. Okay. And it's on like, it's not in the uh, Mediterranean. It's more in that Adriatic. Is that the Adriatic? Not the Adriatic. It's uh, landlocked. Uh, oh, it's, it's landlocked. Yeah, you're in the middle. Oh, so it's not touching any water. Yeah, you're, 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 not, you're not down in the, the, the Napoli area. You're not in uh, Calabria. Because Calabria is the region down, is the toe. Yeah, yeah. Puglia is, is the heel. Is the heel. And then so where the, the ankle would be would be more Campania area. Oh, I'm sorry. Where the ankle was in my head, I was thinking the ball of the foot, not the ankle. Nope. It's oh, the, the, oh, the, the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your ankle. Sorry. Okay. That's what I meant. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So Visually, that makes sense now. You're, you're, you're actually not far from Vesuvius. Actually, every time we've driven here, we have actually have to drive right by Mount Vesuvius. And it shocks me that like every time I drove by, drive by... Houses keep going up the side of Vesuvius, like, and it's still an active volcano. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> it erupted like twenty-five years ago or something. Didn't it just do it too recently? Or what's uh, the that's, one that's in uh, Napoli? Etna is erupting right Aetna's now. Etna's right. Okay. Google the pictures of the Etna eruption. They're I don't want to say they're was, amazing, but it really is. It's, a, it's pretty. It really. It was Etna. I thought for some reason in my mind it was Vesuvius. It's by uh, what's that place that got wiped out? Pompeii. Etna blew its top again a couple days ago. <laughs> and it did it again two years ago it was erupting fully so i mean it's pretty much been non-stop active yeah i mean it's in such a unique little spot it's such a crazy like little area like if you look at italy not just from like the borders but like look how the mountain is you have that mountain range that runs right smack down the middle of it and then it just you know it's all volcanoes all over that place <laughs> so when it comes to Tarasi, you know it's it's a newer docg you got a docg in the mid 90s um, but literally in 1990, there was one producer exporting Tarasi wine, and it was the Master Barandinos. Is, is it that there's a, not a lot of Tarasi? Or like if people were thinking of Napa, do you think that they produce as much wine as a Napa or way less? I think that nobody knew the gem they had. It was just that little special wine that was a hidden gem that got found out about. You know, you got those little towns and cities on the coast that, you know, 10 years ago, people were like, oh, my God, you have to go here. And now everybody's going there. Oh, so, okay. and, and example, in 1990, one person was exporting this wine. Now there's over 300 people making Tarasi. Wow. That's one heck of a that, grape. <laughs> that's, that's the popularity explosion that has happened with this wine. Now, the original family that was making this wine is the Masher Berendinos. This is the original Masher Berendino plot. This is not made by the family. The family did have some Italian uh, 
stuff happen where <laughs> one, one brother doesn't exactly talk to the other brother. And uh, Itali- I, don't, I don't know how to put it. What, it's what's a, Ita- like Italian mafia. stuff. Ita- all right, so Italian stuff could be a volcano a killed lot them, of an earthquake took the mafia popped in. I feel like Italian stuff is a wide range of crap that can happen to people. I heard a story in this, <laughs> yeah, in this town, actually, they said that the, like, the little old lady that was like the grandmother that grew up up the street recently, they had her house raided that she was like the head of the local mafia yeah, for of course years. Was there, right? And they're like, oh my God, she used to give us cookies we had no idea <laughs> of course she did so essentially from what i understand was that one brother wanted to take the family to a modern winery one family member wanted to keep the family very traditional and do it the way they always did it and you have to change a little bit you have to move forward you can't just be stuck in the 70s and 80s i mean at some point you got to cut the mullet you got to get rid of the mc hammer pants <laughs> like you gotta it's gotta happen <laughs> gotta get rid of the neon and the teased hair uh, so you gotta so uh, i believe that this this epic fight over a period of years split the family up so one family got to keep the family name one family kept a lot of the family vineyards and wineries so god that happens a lot in the wine industry it, it does you know well you get money involved and then you throw a little booze on it and then i mean uh, families don't always get along too so. that's the most italian thing ever it's hey we've got a great product and you break up up and split it and fight over it never talk to your family relatives forever and then your family relatives grow up hating each other because they don't understand so it's I, like Hatfields and McCoys almost so so the wines we're drinking is from Terradora de Palo um, since they couldn't use the name Master Barandino when they split the family up uh, they went from the Lana de Palo so the Terra Dora de Palo mm. so so this is a tribute to the to a family member uh they do a couple levels of Tarasi. They do one called Pago de Fusi, which is only released in the best years, and it's like a barrel select. Um, they age it for like an extra eight years or nine years before they release it. It's fantastic. I wish I had some left. I'll try to get my hands on some again. Oh, so it was something that you've done. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've drank a few bottles. I think the last vintage that was released, they don't release it every year. I think the last vintage was like an 08. Like they release it 10 years late. Wow. Yeah. That's so, really cool. This wine has gotten multiple Treby Carry winners. So that uh, Tre Bicchieri is the highest award you can win for wine in Italy. It's basically their version of a Michelin star. They yeah. Put, there's a little book that comes out every year. You can't advertise in it. You can't take out ads. They review every wine and they give out the awards. So they've won many of awards with this wine. Um, and really, it just it, when you look at it in a glass, it doesn't look like traditional Alianico. What does traditional Alianico look like? I could be, if you got one from Basilicata, it would look very much like Sagrantino in a glass. Oh, so just dark as night? Grippy, big. The ones from this region tend to be a little softer and fruit forward. Uh, It reacts very well to oak. What I mean is you could take a softer, fruity version, throw in a little bit of oak, and it will absorb a lot of tannin really quickly. It will actually, you can manipulate Alianico very easily in this region. Oh, okay. It's a very hot region. Surprisingly, it's actually a region that's known a lot for its white wines. So the Barbaresco, so this is the Barbaresco of Tarasi. It's a softer, like, or if you were looking at it, like, when it comes to Alianico, this region is a little bit more like Barbaresco. It's a little softer, where if you go over to Basilicata, it's going to be a little bit more, a little bigger. Ah, Okay. So I'll tell you, you know, drinking both of these side by side. And then actually, you know what, before I even mention this, so what is this other one? The La Crima Christi, the Del Vesuvio Rosso. Also, ironically, has a picture of Vesuvia on it. Vesu- Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> so this is the wine of Mount Vesuvius. 
This is the wine, the red grapes to grow around the base of the mountain. And it's named after uh, La Crema Christi is the Tears of Christ. Oh. And the grape that goes into this is uh, Piedra Rosso. I might have butchered that, but I think I got it pretty close. It's, All right. Or Piedra Rosso or Piedra Rosso, basically red feet. <laughs> so uh, the soil is very volcanic, so you get a lot of red soil in it. So I'm not sure if the term red feet comes from the fact that the base of the vine is red or if the farmers get red feet from farming it because uh. it's such volcanic soil. But this is the wine. When I teach wine classes, I always reverted to this wine because you could taste the volcano in this wine. Often we talk about volcanic soil in the business. Like, oh, it's volcanic. <laughs> that was what volcanic soil tastes like. Like, like it tastes like a volcano. When you taste this wine, it has that like almost ashy robust, smoky character. There's something about this that literally a novice, somebody who barely drinks red wine, I could be like, you could taste a volcano, like, oh my God, it does taste like a volcano. Yeah, because I mean, these are both 2009, so they're basically 10 years old at this point. No, they'd be nine years old, because actually, what, we in December? Yeah. So the La Crema Christie's has got such an awesome nose on it for being nine years old. And it tastes like it's, you know, kind of coming down a little bit from the fruit. Um, I think I get what you mean by this ashiness to it. I'm still going to let this open up a while. I mean, we opened these bottles a while and poured these about 30, what, 30 minutes ago, maybe? And yeah, this, roughly. I, I know La Crema Christie will age. I never had one that was nine years old. Usually they're a lot younger when I have them. It's meant to drink more sooner than later. I don't know, because I've never been experienced one that's actually sat around for 10 or 15 or 20 years. I, I really love the nose on it. So, so Dude, it smells so like, and I'll figure the word out later, but there's like a weird fruity gunpowder to this to me. Like I, I, I feel like I walked oh, into a uh, like, fru fruity gunpowder, like a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Earth, Earth, Earth's discharge was basically a volcano. Yeah, no, I was, I was gonna say it smells like I walked into a shooting range that had like a bouquet of fruit everywhere, <laughs> or a volcano, or a yeah. volcano. So, so, so the the history of La Crema Christi basically it says that uh, God God cried as he found in the Gulf of Naples a corner of heaven that was stolen by Lucifer. So where his tears fell, that is where the La Crema Christi vine grew. That's a really awesome backstory. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a quick God, God cried from the land the devil stole. Yes. And this is these well, of course, in Italy, every wine, every town has a story. There's a there's a jester that used to hook up with all the women, so we're gonna name our wine after him, or this volcano erupted, so we're gonna name it. There's always a story in every town in Italy. That's another reason why I love it though. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, and these are stories that are hundreds and or thousands of years old. I mean, the this whole story of La Crema Christi goes way, way back, and it's part of the the story of Naples and Mount Vesuvius. It is amazing to me how far the history of wine in Italy goes back. It's pretty much farther than almost anybody else's, especially with the Romans being there, the Greeks moving through there, yeah. then the Gauls eventually kind of going through there, and yet. France is the one that takes pretty much all the credit of the history of wine. And I feel like Italy's got to have its way, 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 way longer period of time with grapes than anybody else. But yet, everybody knows Burgundy, everybody knows Bordeaux, everybody knows Champagne. But when it comes to Italy, I even know like really good wine geek people who are kind of whatever about Barolo, Brunello, and Amarone. They'll know a Chianti only because, you know, the crappy whisker, uh, wicker basket that everybody stuffed candles into. Well, I think... Part of it is that there was 
one that was so much that came out of Italy that it conf- <laughs> the it, mafia. It, 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 well, as far as wines, it just confused the hell out of people. Yeah, that's true. To the Italians, you know, let's go, just go back to the mafia for a second, <laughs> because <laughs> the Italians have often have found ways. If they can see a way to find money or to make money happen in, in an industry, they're going to make money in that industry. And if they find out that Barolo is very popular and you can make money, I'm going to put some. Chianti in my Barolo bottle and sell it. And I do love that the idea of Italians is is you can make fun of them in so many different levels. And me being Italian, my family is Italian. They're, is, op- they're opportunists. They're, uh, yeah, opportunist is a great way to put it. But yeah, they'll always you know find that little dollar where they can. And uh, but like you can't offend them. We could literally just absolutely shit on the Italians for the next hour, and they won't be mad because they're either always offended or they don't care because they just know how they are. <laughs> it's so that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's wait, so wait. awkwardly true. But like the French were always about, you know, it needs to be pure and it needs to be this. And it's like, you know, very posh where the Italians are like, just throw that shit in a barrel. And let's get drunk and have fun. It wasn't about prestige in Italy. It was about just drinking wine with your friends and your family. They would rather party than focus on it being the best thing on the planet, and it seems like. Yes. If there was 20 producers in a town, all 20 producers did their wine sometimes a little different because you just did it the way your father did it. Whereas if you're in Burgundy and you're one of those 20 producers, you're doing it the way that the society and the way the laws tell you you have to do it. Now, Italy has changed a lot of things. They've added a lot of laws to make things more prestigious. They've added laws to broad. That, that was the whole vision of the DOC and DOCGs and, and governing your yields and what you can put into your bottles. And yeah, it's a way to make some more money. To be a Barolo, you have to be 100% this varietal. To be a Terrassa, you have to be this. You have to be like, these laws didn't exist 100 years ago. So you just did it the way it's always been done. Whereas in France, those laws were put in place by Napoleon. Yeah. Like yeah. that goes way back, and those laws, just because they were the laws were put in place by Napoleon, those guidelines were founded or followed way before him. It's still the Wild West in Italy. It really is. I don't think that'll ever settle down either. It really doesn't feel like they will, you know. Because the, you know, when you go up to a town, you know, up near say uh, uh, Trento, some of these little towns, every single person in the town will own a vineyard. They'll own a, a little slice up in the mountains, and in the center of the town, there's a winery, and everybody goes and they they farm their grapes and they bring all their fruit every at the end of the year to the center winery and they just give it to the center winery and they make one wine and they name the wine after the town, yeah. and and everybody gets their cut. If if you if you bring a bunch in, you get four cases of wine when you're and done, a check. and you and at the end of the season you get a check based on what was sold, and everybody shares in the spoils and the money, and they all get wine, and that's all the same thing, and it's it's the cooperative that they do in Italy where every. A hundred growers all take their fruit to the town center, and they name their wine after the name of the town, and that's what's produced. Yeah, right? and that's a that's a really cool way of doing that, especially if you have like um, like the Protatore do Barbaresco. Obviously, is a those great are, example. It's of the that. world's greatest cooperative. And if you do it right, you know now you can promote something cheap and expensive and focus on your vineyards. I mean, and I lived in like Nice for a little bit of time. We would drive into Italy and. Um, I can't tell you how many little restaurants I went to where there'd be five tables, a grandma on the back hunched over, you know, making pasta with like her bare hands. And, you know, because it's not like food regulations are a thing out there. I, I imagine there's no food handlers cart in Italy in any way, shape or form. There's little old grandmas back there making food and they'd be like, uh, so what would you like to drink? And, oh, can I get a red wine? There's no list coming out. It's just 
well, we've got a red wine. And they go in the back and they bring out a glass. I don't know what they poured. It's just a blank bottle right there. And they go, oh, yeah, you know, we basically made this from time from that little hill slope over there. Oh, cool. What is it? Well, I don't know. It's a dollar, though, for the... I'm like, oh, cool. I'll take five glasses. So five bucks. I'm like, no, it's like a dollar for the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't care. And then the funny thing is one restaurant, I'm, I shit you not... We walk in. It's me and two of my buddies. We walk in. We sit down. You know, family making the food in the back. The dinner took four hours, it felt like. It really probably was three, four hours. You know, they brought out, you know, their ensalada, and then they brought the antipasto, and then they brought course one, two, three, four, five, and then you had dessert for a salad. But they sat down with us and ate. They didn't ask. They just did it. They were like, yeah, we're going to eat with you too. And they're broken English. And we didn't care. That was so much fun. And they were just handing bottles of wine left and right to everybody. And they didn't know. They just looked at it and goes, uh, I think I made this eight years ago. Here, try this. And you're like, what? And you go, I don't know. Here, whatever. Just drink it and enjoy it and shut up and eat my food. Like, That's it. You know what I did? I enjoyed every bit about it. I don't think I had better wine than when I was over there just drinking. And I don't know what any of it was. It's not going to be sold here. They're not going to sell it anywhere. It's just it's the house wine. Yeah, when when you when you're in Trento, you just order, you know, the red or the white. Yeah. That's it. What is it? It's going to be a blend. It's going to be regional stuff. If you're if you're ordering reds in that region, it's going to be Marzamino, Toraldigo, Lagrine. If you're ordering whites, it's going to be a lot of like probably the Kerner, you know, Pinot Grigios, yeah. Silvaners. There's probably a the, lot of vineyard sites too that are old enough where they got passed down in generation two and they have no idea what it is. And I know, I imagine most of them do, but there literally might be families who are like, like we inherited this land. I don't know what that is. We just know it ripens next week and we got to pick. <laughs> I know when I was in La Vise, they said that all their growers are part-time growers. Like everybody just owns a little slice of up in the mountains, a mm-hmm. little couple rows here, a couple rows there, but they have normal jobs. They just, this is just their fun. And at the end of the season, they get to bring it all down to the cooperative and they get a bunch of wine. I, what jobs do they have in Italy? I went through there and I swear to God, everybody either makes food, makes yeah. wine or robs the people that or, make food or, and make wine. Make babies. Or, well, they have babies left and right over there. Like, <laughs> it's, if it was the most third world country I'd ever been in that was so modernized in every which way or somebody, shape somebody used to say that it was a third world nation in disguise of a first world nation. <laughs> it's, it's how it felt. <laughs> That's what somebody used yeah. to tell me about Italy. Yeah. Uh, seriously, it, it feels like that. And there was like one point in the middle of the day where everything just stops. And they're like, oh, it's one o'clock. We're all going to go eat for three hours and drink. And we'll think about reopening. Like, OK. So so going back to Protatory real quick, you know, they're a cooperative that will pay different based on the quality of your grapes. And that's what separates themselves from every other uh, cooperative in Italy. Most of cooperatives, if you bring 10 tons of fruit, you get paid this much. If you bring in 20 tons of fruit, you get paid twice as much as the guy who brought in 10 tons of fruit. Yeah. Predatory is going to pay you based on the quality of your fruit that you brought in. And they test it based on the bricks. They test it on the, a lot of different factors. And so the, the higher your quality, the more money you make. And then at the end of the year, whatever money is left, it's broken up amongst everybody evenly. That's really cool. And that's then how they get out their single vineyard stuff. Yep. Which is cool because, you know, I got a couple of those bottles from... 09 that uh, the single vineyards and i think we'll have at least two or three podcasts because they have what nine nine Nine. vineyards we should do like two an episode or three an episode depending on certain years and kind of break them. i would love to go through and break them all down and do some fun things i got a nice little vertical of one of them in there we'll do some time like we'll have fun over the years yeah i've got three oh nines from munkagata pora and blah 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 because i don't know what the other ones are but, so but, real quick, let me ask you on this Tarasi. Yeah, because I really want to talk a little bit about this because this wine is drinking right now. So this is, this is the interesting thing to me. Like I said, we just opened this. Um, the La Crema Christi, or Jesus Tears. I'm actually going to say that because that sounds fantastic. That's a dope wine name, Jesus, Jesus Tears. Tears. 
<laughs> Should you just name name one of our wines someday Jesus Tears? Jesus Tears. I like it. So, so this one actually has a much better nose to me. It's because it seems more approachable, I think, for the average person, which would make sense being at like a rust. It's more fruit. You know, it's a little bit easier drinking. And the Tarasi, I just don't think is opened up completely yet. And obviously that would make more sense. But this the the Jesus Tears is absolutely unique. It's uh it smells like um like if you went to like a like an Italian restaurant and you open the door and that like unique spices kind of hit you in the face of like what I would imagine an Italian restaurant would have. And, and you know, a lot of times when we talk about rocks, cause we say there's, you pick up your fruits, but to me it's throwing off a lot of inanimate objects. So when it comes to rocks, it's the dark rocks. You nailed it with like the gunpowder, the flint, you know, that coal characteristic, that burned wood characteristic it's not slate and minerals it's funny as you said that the burned wood was a good example of that because there is a a burned char characteristic in there it's delicious now on the palate it's lacking a lot of the fruit to me and to me if i blind tasted this i'd actually might guess that it was a south african wine because there's pinotage characteristics to me this is throwing off there is that slight Band-Aid-y characteristic, that rubber band I, I, bike tire characteristic. It's very slight. And to me, that bike tire is probably the Vesuvius coming off too, that that burned rubber. Because that's what it is. It's almost like a burned rubber characteristic. Yeah, I, I, I can see what you mean. I'm getting a tartness from it. And I can't tell if that's a flavor, but I, I am getting like, like a tart, burnt cherry kind of a thing. But it's funny because you do mention, you know, being like from a volcano. There's a lot of burnt characteristics. Also, it's Italy. Who knows? Maybe they're burning their garbage everywhere around it, too. <laughs> um, yeah, no. It's, I mean, look at the front of the label. Yeah, it's literally Vesuvius this on is fire. Growing, people probably running, yes. What is this? People running away? What is These this are thing? actually a- images and paintings from... Yeah, ships running away from a melting volcano. These are images from the um, uh, museum from Mount Vesuvius. Really? And a pro- I believe a percentage, small percentage of all the proceeds go to kind of help with the museum and the upkeep of it. That's really cool. So, this wasn't this wasn't the area where the winery collapsed and they still went in there and refixed it. No, never mind. I know who that was. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. It's all good. Um, so, I mean, the, the La Creme de Crissy is good. I don't think it's holding up necessarily as strong as on the palate as it could. Um, I did just decant the yeah, Tarasi because I like to see how things change. Yeah. So we, we, we super chilled the white. So I'll grab that here in a second to see how that holds up. And I want to see how this changes once we open up. So if you look at the Tarasi, though, the meniscus, it's a, it's almost a clear meniscus on it around the edge of the wine. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And by the way, for those who don't know or haven't listened, the meniscus is like the very absolute edge of the wine it, uh, where the gla- like it touches the glass, like the very top layer that touches the glass. It's literally like see-through on the edge. And then, yeah. it, then it gets to brick really like i mean it starts taking almost like a blood characteristic as it gets into it oh uh, yeah because the lacrima christie's dark through and through like here look at this over a white magazine a white piece of paper now yeah i mean the lacrima christie same thing has like a semi-clear it's funny because if if you handed me this glass i would assume this was a barolo just because that's that little orange characteristic on the end might be yeah. from just being aged but that's the crema i'm not i'm not even doing the tarasi yet let me see this Oh yeah, it's super clear. Yeah, it's 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 a really almost like a watery meniscus, but then it goes right from being clear into deep red wine. It's funny because yeah, it goes clear orange, like a hair orange, hair garnet, and then dark ruby. Yeah, fun, but it does on the pa- on the nose. It's got this like kind of a sulfury nose a little bit. 
it smells fresh, but it still feels closed. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely open. It's more than when I poured it. And this, it's funny. It's one thing I love about Italian wine sometimes, and it's super off-putting sometimes. But it smells so funky, <laughs> like when you this first has pour a, it. This has a little funk to the nose, <laughs> a little farty. <laughs> but it's it, it's a nine-year-old wine that was not perfectly stored either. It wasn't in a cellar at a constant temperature. Uh, this did spend a number of years in a cooler, but over the last couple of years, it's been in a box in a, around a bit. in a room. I got a few more bottles of it, which I have to put back into the cooler. Dude, these wines are... I, I, I love Italian wine so much. It's some of my favorite wine. It's some of the most approachable wine in some cases because it's not so heavy-handed oaked. Like, it's not like they're trying to allow the oak to speak for the wine in some cases. Like, I feel a lot of Napa and Sonoma wineries do. They're just like, here's the grape. Here's what it is. You know... And it gives you a good idea of what certain areas can taste like. It's like when you meet a girl who's really beautiful but has no, <laughs> this could, no, this could get unique. <laughs> no depth or personality. <laughs> and often you meet a lot of them in this town where they're very similar. Like, okay, you all are very, very beautiful. However, there's just not necessarily a lot of a lot to you. And, and sometimes when you start drinking wines that are not so rustic, they don't have a great story. You're like, hey, you're, this, you're the exact copy of the thing I had yesterday and another copy of the thing I had the day before. Where you get into some of these rustic Italian wines... They're all over the board. It might not be the prettiest. It might be sometimes a little sassy. But when you drink it, there's always a story. There's always something unique that's going to happen. You have no idea where the night's going to go. It's an Italian wine. There's a good uh, chance it's going to punch you in the face at some point with the tannins in it. Well, they, they're a little feisty. They like to yeah, argue they're, a little bit. Like they're, they're, they're not. A little yeah, you know, they're not pushovers. <laughs> it's know? funny because I look at oak now that you say that, like a plastic surgery. The right amount, you don't really notice it. A good amount looks pretty, and then all of a sudden you got a boob job that's so over the top ridiculous, and you're like, "What in the hell did you do?" I mean, you can't stop staring, but you're like, "All right, this is just." Like a shallow person. Like they're as shallow as the grave they'll eventually be buried in. <laughs> it's, and there's just such unique qualities out of every region in Italy. Like we could literally do a pod, we could do a thousand podcasts just about Italy. And that's like a third of Italy. And it will be a different wine every day and there'll always be something different and unique. You know, whereas I think that if you did that around France, you would run out of wines after. Not running out of wines, but d different style wines after the first 50 episodes. There you know? is a French person losing their mind in the most pretentious way ever. <laughs> no, but there's something very beautiful about French wines. Fr French wines are refined and sexy and gorgeous. They're, I mean, there's just something amazing about them. But there's, there's only so many of them. There's only so many different styles of Rhone wines. There's only so many styles of Burgundy and Bordeaux. I mean, and Loire, like what you're running out of regions already. I mentioned five and how many more are there? There's there's a lot of little ones, but it's not like Italy where they grow it everywhere. It is funny you say that because you're right. If you looked at a map of France, Spain, Italy, and America where they grow regions, America for what we are, you'd be like, you'd be blown away by how few wine growing regions are. I, I looked that up the other day and it's, it was it's insanely small. I've got that one map where it literally shows every one. Now, granted, the USA is obviously about the size of Europe, but Italy itself, if you put up a map with all the DOCGs, DOCs, IGTs, and all that, the whole map is colored in. I, it's like I was joking when I was saying, you know, like, what does anybody do besides grow wine and make food? And you look at a map like that, and you're like, Jesus, like, there's literally wine everywhere. And you, it's not even remotely close to the same things. You drive the highway from Trentino to Verona. There are grapevines growing in the median of the highway. 
Oh, yeah. They grow that shit anywhere they can. If they could fit it a grapevine, they do. And if not, yeah. if not, they'll, they'll be something else that'll be a food product that they want or something like that. God, you know? I love it. You know what's funny, too? Because I can think of France and I can think of liquors that come out of it. I can think of a few beers that come out of it. When I think of Italy, I can literally not think of anything other than what? Fernet and Amaro. Well, Amaro in this case. And like two beers, Peroni and La Bira Moretti. Because Menab- I don't think of anything else that they make booze-wise. Menabrea? You ever had Menabrea beer? Nope. What? Never had. Never even heard of it. There's a lot of restaurants in town that carry it. A lot here. That's probably the the mainstream craft beer of Italy. It's not a craft beer, I know. But it's... it's <laughs> if it's making it here, I don't think it's not. Technically- it's not the Bud Light of Italy. It's like more like the... Um, Samuel Adams. Okay. Right. Where Samuel Adams is not a craft beer by any means. Yeah, they, they're they more craft beer than Budweiser, but they're not as craft beer as actual small-time breweries. I love how many small breweries we have in the city right now. I swear, every day, I feel like I run into a brand new one. There's a new place up in North Scottsdale. They have, I think it's like 60 or 70 beers on tap, and you can get an $11 growler of any one that you want. It's really cool. I feel like Italy's the same way. Like, do they have... so? Italy I has- saw something once, and I, I've, I'd, I've never seen it anywhere else. It was in Italy, and somebody walked in with a full-on like jug, like a full jug, and they just handed it to the dude, and they were like, fill me up, and they or whatever they say in Italian, fill me up, oh. And uh, they walked in the back, and the dude just from an oak barrel just poured all the wine, like a tap, into this thing, put a little cork in it, and handed it to the guy, and they were out. So I saw that in a couple of the small towns in Italy where the funniest things ever was this guy who was probably... Four foot eight, and he looked like he ran out of gas. He had two gas cans, and he comes walking up the street. <laughs> We're sitting there just BSing, and I just see this guy come walk. He's walking, walking. He probably walked like a mile with those two gas cans. He gets up there, and he goes up to the winery, and he hands the guy these two jugs that look literally like gas cans. They're red. The guy takes it over to what looks like a gas pump, puts the nozzle in, and it starts dinging like the old 1980s. Like, gas, like da-ding, 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 ding, as it's like filling up. Literally, this guy filled up. Two five-gallon jugs of wine, paid a couple euros, put his top on it, and started his walk back home another mile. I would say if that was America, I was like, that guy's having a great party. That being Italy, I was like, that guy's going to drink himself up a little bit. All I could think of is I want to be that guy. Where, Could you imagine walking around the city right now? Like you go to Ren House down the street and you just have five gallon drums like, yep, fill us up with beer, please. Seriously, your wife is at home making amazing pasta, slicing prosciutto, and all I have to do is go for a walk to the end of the street to fill up a couple gallon jugs of wine. First off, you get a good workout. Second off, could you imagine going to a party with a, a, like a red gas tank basically Amazing. and pouring wine out of that for everybody they would be like what the forget slap in the bag oh, man. <laughs> let's tap the gas can tap the gas can oh i like it <laughs> hashtag tap the gas can oh my god like that's literally i've i this was like 10 years ago i saw this guy i still think about him today like like that's what i aspire to be someday in my life the old man walking around with gas cans full of wine full of wine <laughs> and happy as can be that dude had no care in the world he was not thinking about a bill he wasn't thinking about grandkids he was, you know what he's thinking about Filling up his wine. I need some wine to go with my pasta tonight. Oh, my God. Five <laughs> gallons. Jesus. I thought it was amazing. I would love to know how many trips that guy takes now. Probably every other day. Every other day. Yeah, that guy's the party house. And he probably spends a total of 10 euros a week on wine. What a great, what a great way to live. <laughs> right? 
Just filling up the Rosso. I want to do that at the winery. Just have like a tap. But well, the problem is, man, like, you know, we have five gallon kegs. So if a dude walks in with a five gallon can, I just be like, here, just take the keg. <laughs> and there's, well, there's limitations, I think, to what you can sell somebody to maybe if. Eh, eh. The government's <laughs> shut down right now. There's nobody to enforce my laws. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> it's now the wild, wild west. And again. for anybody who listens 10 years in the future, I don't know if you're coming back to this. Uh, our government is shut down. And by shut down, I mean certain things just aren't working. And the TTB is one of them. So there's nobody to enforce certain laws. <laughs> so party really hard right now because you're not really going to get in trouble. For so it. I guess this is the time you, if you want to ship across certain borders... Yeah. Because I know they've been cracking down on that in some states. That's what blows my mind is it's illegal to bring booze across the border. So if you're driving from Arizona to California, you can't have anything on you till you get to California because you got to buy it. Otherwise, it's a felony. I know Meanwhile, you- 99% of all people probably do that. I mean, I think it's really dumb that if I own a wine shop here, you broker wine collections. You sell wine collections. If you come up with a great wine collection and you find some old Opus one that you want to sell somebody and a guy in Tennessee wants to buy that wine. You can't ship that wine to him. It's not legal. Like that's meanwhile, but he can go to a store and buy it. So, uh, so I guess my big question would be, is this a federal thing because they want their taxes? And if that's the case, that actually doesn't really matter as much. So it's clearly a tax problem. It's not any other problem, but interstates are actually communicating because here's the deal is that if I own a wine shop in New York state and I ship the wine to Tennessee, Tennessee has the problem with it. Tennessee is, can't come after me in New York State because I'm in New York State. It's not a federal problem. You can't, you can't mess with me in another state because I don't live in Tennessee. Yeah. But Tennessee is communicating with New York, and now New York is fining people for shipping to Tennessee. Yeah. And they, that's uh, going on now. We've had to stop shipping to two states because we didn't pay taxes for them. Like Texas gave us a cease and desist because the people we were shipping wine to obviously weren't paying the taxes or we weren't paying the taxes, depending on how it goes. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I get that, but you're not stopping random business. Like anybody making a t-shirt out here shipping to Texas isn't having their business stopped because they didn't pay the taxes on a t-shirt that got shipped. Yeah, that's... But it's totally legal for me to go to somebody's house and buy their t-shirt. Now, if you're going to have the argument where, all right, you don't know if that person's 21 or not, then I can kind of understand that argument a little bit. But in our industry, uh, nobody under the age of 21 is going to buy an Opus One or like my wine collection. There's like a point zero 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 one percent chance. And what, that. If, what if I? And you can't be like it's a food product because what if I bake brownies? You tell me I can't ship brownies to your state either. Yeah, but and, I, and I'm, I'm brownies, not talking magic brownies. Yeah, yeah, if you made brownies, I as your neighbor can go, Damien, you making brownies? It smells good, and I can walk yeah. over to your house and buy your brownies from you and go. Actually. What if I don't I, think you can actually do that but, anymore. I know you can't. What if I start a, a cupcake company and I want someone in Tennessee goes, hey, I want to buy your cupcakes. Can you ship me 12 of them? You can't actually. And I can tell you why, because I know a lot of places now are cracking down and you have to have a commercial light or a commercial kitchen to ship food because some some child in some state got sick from eating a brownie because their mother never let him play outside all day long and he got a cold and so instead she decided to sue everybody and you know now you can't have brownies i know my aunt for a while was making brownies up in seattle and they did uh what are those things like um 
uh, not like an art festival, but uh, like uh, like almost like a bake sale. Like mm-hmm. it was basically a bake sale. And the entire community went out and they would sell their brownies and their cookies and their pies and blah, 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 blah. And one person somewhere cracked down on it and said, these are all made at home. You can't sell them. They're not in a commercial kitchen. So they shut everything down. And that's like, what in the hell? I heard about that in other states. I've read some things over that's happened where like, you know, school bake sales where they're trying to fund. Getting shut down because they're, they're, they're they weren't try- made in commercial yeah, kitchens. They're, they're trying to fund musical instruments for the band because the state doesn't have is too busy buying golden toilets and can't afford to buy the freaking instruments for their kids or can't afford to buy pens, so they do a bake sale. And now they're going to shut them down because they're like, oh, you baked this in your kitchen. Well, to be honest, the shit that grandma bakes in her kitchen is way better than what... hundred times better. Dude, I went to... Mike, the Catholic school I went to, it was the best Friday ever. The first Friday every month, bake sale so that the I, school could yep. raise money. Do we had dollar brownies, $2 cookies? Somebody I remember those a as a cake. kid. They used to do the cakewalk where they play the music, and if you stopped on square, you went, we loved that shit. Oh my God, I would tell you, they'd give you tickets, and if I went home with a cake to my mom, she'd be pissed because like, she knew I was going to eat the whole thing and probably <laughs> pass out from a sugar coma. But she'd be like, oh, that's really cool. And you did. And the school raised like, I don't know, a thousand bucks or something. You can't do that anymore. It's crazy. And I like, I, I see these wine collections that I buy from people, which, you know, also isn't exactly the legalist of things. But I look at what people do and I'm like, if you have a crazy wine collection, you want to sell it to somebody, cool. And if you want to do it in a legal way, why can't that guy sell to a store and then the store gets like a 5% commission and then I buy it from them. But you can't even do that. That's not it even legal. If, 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 if I own something, I should just be able to sell it to you. Yeah. Like the back Dude, of the you day. Could buy a, you can sell a gun in the state. I, you can go to somebody's house and buy a gun from somebody and not, that's totally legal, but I can't sell a wine collection to somebody? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I don't... But once again, you have people that were put into... There were people that were in power that made those laws that didn't know a thing about the industry and... Those people that also made the laws, a lot of them had lobbyist money in their pockets from some alternate company that made them put that law into place. The beverage industries here locally might have lobbied the shit out of them to say, you know what? No outside product needs to come in because I'm the guy who sells it in the state. So you need to put a law into place that makes sure that nobody else can sell it in the state because we need to keep it in our state. He goes, that's a great idea. Let's make a law. Yeah, and also here's a million dollars for your campaign next year for running. Yes, and, and here's a beach house that's in your cousin's name that I'm going to give to your grandmother yeah. that you can use anytime you and, want. And oh, hey, your competitor won, so you're no longer there. Now what we're going to do is threaten your competitor that if they get rid of it, we're going to fund a ton of money to make sure they lose next time so we're not going to let them change the laws. It's, it's crazy only because it's such a, we are now, what, 80 years past prohibition ending. And while a lot of laws have been taken down and a lot of things have changed, and I know I'm complaining maybe uselessly about some of the things because there's probably people from the 1920s who are ghosts or dead now thinking to themselves, like, are you kidding me? I went to jail because we moonshined some crap up in a mountain somewhere or got shot over it, and I'm bitching that I can't buy somebody's wine cellar collection. But I'm going to do it anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Think about those people that went to jail or were killed during Prohibition. People that went spent life in jail because they decided to load up a keg of whiskey in their car and drive it to Phil's house. Yeah, or in one case of a specific presidential family was a massive bootlegger and used all that money to help get their kids into politics. I'm talking about the Kennedys. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 such a weird. There's so many weird laws that when you think about it at its core are absolutely stupid yes like that, that they still exist is stupid and if you want to like get around it by getting your tax at least be have the honesty to say like listen it has nothing to do with the fact you're selling somebody's wine collection it's just a tax problem and if you buy this collection put it in a store 
make pay the taxes and take it. And then we'll at least complain about that. Not this is just a dumb law and we're going to do it illegally or something. The problem is when you go from something being very illegal to being legalized, you and you have people in power that mentally think it's still an illegal good, they're going to screw up all the laws. That's happening with marijuana right now, too, where yeah. as all these states legalize marijuana, they're going to screw up the laws all over the place. Think about it. Alcohol has been legal now for 80-plus years, and some of the laws are 100 years. They're still screwed up in some states, and they're still screwing them up in states. Dude, Jack Daniels cannot sell its own product in the county that it's in because it's a tri-county. It's crazy. You can't sell alcohol on Sundays in Indiana unless you're a football team. You can't ship liquors in the (laughs) USA at all. Wine can be shipped, and I don't know if anybody ships beer. It's just weird. But if, like, when we were at Leopold Brothers, they couldn't ship to us. They were like, no, you got to buy it from a store. If I put a six-pack of beer in my car and drove it across the Utah border, I could go to jail. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Just Honestly, I feel like it's probably like you got to treat it like probably like prostitution or it's like you're not paying to have sex with a girl. You're like you're paying for the company of somebody. It's like, I'm not buying your wine collection. You're going to give it to me for free. And then because I talked to you for 10 minutes, here's a ton of money. <laughs> That's in California. A wine distributor cannot give wine away. for. I can't say if you buy 10 cases, I'll give you a magnum for free. I can. Uh, yeah. I can say if you buy 10 cases, I'll give you a magnum for a penny. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> we, we have the same lot here. We were doing bottomless yeah. Bloody Marys and mimosas. One Betty. And we got in so much trouble when I was at that bar that I worked at. And they were like, you can't give away booze for free. You can't say $15 bottomless. So we charged a penny. Totally legal. We, we, <laughs> like, there was, there, okay. There was like a wine event we used to do where people paid like $20. They got to try 20 wines. And when they came up to the table to say, can I try the wine? You had to literally tell them, I need you to move a penny from that jar to that jar. And you'd be like, what? I'm like, just do it. Just do it. And they literally reach down, they move a penny from one jar to another jar, and they just pour them wine. That is excellent. Because so, you can't charge one flat fee to try that many wines without blah, 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 without, t- yeah. Yeah. Tickets or stamps. Yeah. That's like devoured, had to go to stamps. Yeah. And that's crazy, too, because they said you had to do a one-ounce pour and only a one-ounce pour on these things. However, they gave people 25 pours. I'm like, okay, that's five glasses of wine. And oh, by the way, how are you going to enforce that? Because most of the places I was, you know, popping it out, they didn't stamp you. You know, they just kind of, and they didn't even pour one out. They freehand poured it. And, you know, they're, they're good enough. Like, I'm good enough. I could sit here and pour a drink and nail. Like, well, it's like nail a one ounce pork like, and they don't care. They're just like, like well, glug, 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 glug. here's a plate of food. Here's a wine glass. Here's a pen. Here's an order form. Here's a stamp card. Here's it's like, dude, I have so many hands. Yeah. <laughs> like you need to pamphlets just, and, and you're eating your food. Now the yeah. crazy thing, they didn't do that with the beer people. The beer people were, had bombers. So 22 ounce bombers and they were pouring half glasses when I was going around to them. And that was totally fine, but you couldn't do it with wine. Meanwhile, that, quadruple IPA that was made in some unique friggin' like cast iron skillet thing and had hops from the side of a back end of a mountain and filtered through goat's hair from some dude in some brewery I never heard of was pouring bottles per person. It was terrible. I remember this one guy. He had the best Pilsner I had in Arizona and hands down the most awful IPA ever. And it was so weird because he was just pouring you all of his beer. And it was, he was a cool dude, but still, you were like, all right, so the wine people are taking it to the point where you can only pour an ounce. Beer people don't care. They didn't care. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird when you, you don't realize you're doing something illegal until somebody points it out that it's super illegal. Yeah, plus there's so many just weird laws in every single state. And I'm in the booze business, do you know who I don't admire their job are compliance officers. 
That's a hard job. A, a compliance officer for a wine importer that has to know all the intricacies, intricacies of every single state. No way do I want that job. Dude, you have to know so many laws. It's, it's, and by the way, once you, if you, let's say you work for a, like a constellation in Arizona, and then all of a sudden you go from working in an Arizona market to now you're switching yourself into a California market. And now you got to learn all the laws there and change up everything that you do. It's pretty unbelievable that it gets down to that point. And those poor guys, that, and honestly, I couldn't even imagine being, um, I'm not sure what it's called out here, but uh, the people who have to enforce the laws and they're told, I don't know, every year, every time some brand new law popped up and you have to enforce this. And, and they got can, f- those eight people that have to enforce this across an entire state. Well, usually it's like, here's the new law, go enforce it for six months and then we'll forget about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Sorry. So, you, what did you just grab? Oh, you grabbed the, uh, the Bell Star out of the so freezer. I officially put the. Oh yeah. So the the prosecco is from Bell Star. Bell Star you can buy nationally. Um, it will be in some chain stores. Uh, actually, the the local movie theater here in Arizona, the Big Harkins, the one with the the nice seating now. They actually serve this in the in the uh, <laughs> theater. So fun. I can go get fucked up in a movie theater now, yeah. whether it's a Disney movie or a rated R movie. But I can't go buy wine from somebody on the streets. Yeah, right? <laughs> I could buy cocktails in a movie theater. I can't wait to see The Lion King reanimated while pounding tequila shots and fireball. So it's the right temperature now. So I threw this in the freezer for about 25 minutes or so, 30 minutes. The wine is much colder. And I'll be honest, alone in the glass, it has a ton more bubbles. I'm looking Just, at it. It's actually bubbling. You can crazy. actually see the bubbles sticking to the glass, whereas before, as soon as I poured it in, it went flat. Yeah. So really, I do think that the colder the wine is, the better the bubbles hold up. Now, I'll wait two or three minutes and drink this, and we're going to see. But just from the initial looking at it, I feel that if you're going to drink a room temperature and a not-so-cold champagne, it will go flat quicker. Well, I've got something really crazy and gr- geeky about this, too. You know what's a huge, crazy difference? Um, atmospheric pressure. So yes. there is, if let's say you have a crazy storm, like a, like a front, like right now, like it's raining here in Arizona. So all this pressure is moving south. It's going to cause what's being bubbled in a bottle to change, or in some cases, uh, what might ferment differently than if you have a high atmospheric pressure and move in. Like everything when it comes to wine is crazy different based upon the atmosphere and your weather and your cold temperature. It's one of the few things like really has everything, everything to do with weather. Like why you wouldn't bottle during a certain time or you wouldn't, you know, filter during certain times because you needed the wind to shift differently or whatever, something like that. And that's a real thing. And I can't speak on it like as some experts can, but I have sat around enough people to be like, no, you have to bottle during this time or you need to filter during this time because yes, the atmospheric pressure makes a huge difference on what's going on with the wine. So, And it seems trivial and small, but if somebody were to sit down with a wine and pour it for you, you try, you actually would noticeably taste a slight difference or make it easier to do something with. Well, I'm thinking like, what about if I'm in Aspen versus here? If I'm... Uh above one mile elevation versus sea level. Yeah. Is that going to affect it? Well, think about like a Coke on an airplane. When you get, if I'm not mistaken, I heard, and this is totally hearing, so I don't know if it's true or not, but I had heard the Coke that goes into cans for an airplane when they pressurize that is very different than what you would get like here in Arizona or something because that 
pressure in the cabinet changes the can so it doesn't blow up well, or pressure in or something like that. You ever that. buy a bottle of water and put it like in your carry-on bag and then you're on the airplane, you pull it out and it's all shrunk, it's shrunk in. in. It's all weird. Yeah. Like You're like, what? You also see the bubbles that are in it because it's, yeah. So, so when I started drinking champagne or when I started got, when I first got in the wine business, there was a guy that used to come into this wine shop and he loved champagne and he was so particular about the temperature. This guy was literally like, this champagne needs to be at 34.8 degrees. Did you notice that though? Because sparkling wines have to be cold. was so particular. He made them spin the bottles, needs more ice, needs more ice, can't pour it yet, pour, pour me a little sip. Nope, needs more, needs more time. Needs more. But he was... He was the guy that I started drinking Bollinger with. He's the guy that got me into Renart Rosé. This is the guy that taught me a lot about champagne, but he was so particular about temperature. And now, after looking at this Prosecco... It's literally this, bubbling. This is a cheap Prosecco. This is this is probably... This is retail sub-15. I mean, I'm going to say on a retail... right Sub-15 on a retail shelf, traditionally. We poured this. It was not... It was probably 45 degrees or so. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, because it, it came was out of your chi- fridge. It was chilled, but it was only in the fridge for an hour. As soon as we poured it, it lost its bubbles. Oh, yeah. Mine went flat a almost, minute later. Almost instantly. In fact, when I put it in my mouth and I tried to like swish it all around, it was like swishing around a flat white wine. Now, I poured this wine in a glass now officially two, three minutes ago. It's bubbling lively in my glass yeah. still. Yeah, so clearly the temperature coming out of a fridge does make a difference. So maybe the right thing to do if you took a Prosecco or a Champagne. Hold on, I'm going to take a sip of this real quick. It is lively. Like, swish it around the bubble. Oh, it's so much better when it's cold, too. Completely different wine. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Tons so, of bubbles. So the right thing to do is, obviously... Ice cold. Ice cold. Don't ever serve your bubbles. I'd say put it in your fridge, and then 10 minutes before you serve it, throw it into the freezer. Or just ice bath it. You know, get get a yeah. nice get a nice ice chiller, fill it with ice and it's a little bit of water. It's funny because that's such a thing. Those high hats, you know, those silver things. You put the yeah. ice in, you shove your champagne into. But yeah, because you ever had, you know, it's just like flat beer. Like there's some beers you need to have cold because the second it warms up, it's terrible. Or right? or you take that cheap beer and it starts to warm up and it goes flat instantly. You know what I'd love to try one day, and hopefully somewhere we can try. I would love to have champagne. Like, let's just say, and I'm just going to throw a name out, Cristal. Let's say Cristal's got all their stuff ready to go, and they haven't done the, um, uh, oh my god, I'm blanking, dosage. You know, to like uh, to get all the effervescence in there and have everything. Eat. But I'd love to try the still version of a Cristal, and then the. You know, spar- or the champagne version of it. And that could be anything, whether it's California or whatever. Now, I would like to see if the wine makes it that long, if they would have put it in a bottle and cork it. And then I'd love to say, oh, 12 years later, here's Cristal still, and here's Cristal out of the champagne. Just to, I just would love to see the difference of it, something uh, like that. That'd be really cool. A guy that used to come into Atlas used to like drinking his champagne flat. Because really? like, well, he would say, he's like, it's the best Chardonnay in the world. Well, I mean, it's it's Chablis. It's practically along that line. It's so, what, how far is Champagne from Chablis? So, like ninety miles so, north. Uh, they use kilometers there. Oh, God <laughs> <damn> it. <laughs> so it's uh, how many Sorry. feet? Oh, it's not feet either. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> but <laughs> you douche. <laughs> he, he he was notorious. He literally was like he was happy when his champagne was flat. He wanted it in a bulb glass. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm still laughing about that one. That was, that was fantastic. He wanted to put in a bulb glass because he wanted it to go flat. Because he's like, he's like, I would rather drink the best champagne than drink bubbles. So did like, he like 
shake it? No. He would just pour it and let it go and flat. And just let it go flat? Yeah. Le- leave it in the glass for a few minutes. and That's crazy. He put it in a glass like this. So we're not drinking this out of a champagne flute. This is out of a Bordeaux glass. And that's crazy, actually. This is a completely different wine right now, cold. Ten, ten degrees cooler? Oh, it tastes so much fresher. So much more fresh. Like, it tastes like a, like a real, like, not sit like, it was not like a fresh lemon, but it's got like a nice candy lemon taste to it a little bit. So... Something we didn't really touch on, which I think we'll talk about more into some of the one of the next episodes, is the difference b- between the flavor profiles of a prosecco and a champagne. Because to me, when you get into a champagne, you're going to have a little bit more creaminess. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a little bit more sometimes a, that slightly yeasty bread boxy characteristic. I hate that so much, but it's such a unique characteristic. That's be- why my champagne, and you know this. I've got two different styles. But whereas this tends to be a little bit more citrusy. Yeah. Almost a little sweet in a way. And this, not sweet, but there's there, it's not a fully dry wine. Yeah. Whereas most of your champagnes will be a fully dry wine, where Proseccos will often have a a slightly sec characteristic. Now, do you think that's just based because it's uh, they're not literally leaving more sugar in it by too much, a little? Because obviously, brew, extra brute, and demisic are kind of the same rules of thumb or laws is uh it's just because they use a different grape and therefore you're not getting those flavor profiles and maybe there's like if you if i took a sparkling viognier versus a sparkling chardonnay the viognier is going to appear sweeter just because of that grape comes off sweeter with the flavor profiles that it has in the age you know to be a champagne you have to age the wine like it's been aged for 18 plus months Okay. You know, whereas Prosecco's been aged for 18 plus minutes. <laughs> they made it and filtered it and got some bubbles in there. But that. that's really the difference between the two right there. I mean, a huge difference because with champagne, you have to age it, you know, you disgorge it, you dosage it, you're, I mean, the riddling racks, there's such a process that goes into making champagne. And we'll talk about all that next week. Yes. Well, well we have a buddy who's going to give us everything about the dosage and disgorge. <laughs> Disgorgement? Is that the right word? Yes. Yeah. So the question is, is how long, how long are we going to go with this guy? What, two hours, three hours? <laughs> Get ready, because... Well, who knows, if you, and I, if, you, if you and I could talk for two hours by ourselves about... We had a list of topics John and I took for today we're going to talk about. We talked about not a single one of them. <laughs> we had a list of topics? Well, oh, that's right. We, we, we did have... End of the year, things that happened. God, we ramble so let, hard. Let, let, let's sum up 2018's, like, the, the crap, wine industry. Right, dude, today's literally the, the last, last day, day of 2018. Yeah. There's, there's all this crazy shit that's happened, all these amazing winers that got bought out, and the scandals, and all this crazy shit. I was like, okay, I got a list of topics. What do we talk about? None of it. None of it. <laughs> Not one thing. That sounds about right for us, though. Yeah. Dude, 2018 felt like an extremely long year that was short. Like, it went quick, but every day felt like a year at this point, between everything politically, everything environmentally. I feel like 2018 has... I feel like it's going on for five years. I feel like 2018 aged people. Like, as a whole, everybody in the world aged a little rougher in 2018. We lost crazy celebrities. This was a really, really... This insane year of politics, probably, that anybody in this generation, every generation has known... Because it was like one of the things I was like looking up and I was like, like I said, all the wine happenings of this year. Nick, Nick Foles brought the Eagles to a Super Bowl in what might be one of the worst cities in America. Sorry, Philly. So, but let's not kid ourselves. But like, <laughs> Y'all don't deserve championships. <laughs> Even though know. they got, what, two? Didn't the, the, did the Flyers win? Who else? Somebody won a championship in their thing. What are the Phillies or Flyers? Somebody. The Capitals. 
Was the cat? No, the Capitals oh, didn't win. Ovechkin. Oh, that's right. That's DC. Yeah. Washington. Washington. Capitals. Uh, so big stories of the year were stuff like. Yeah, the, what's some the, big wine ha- stories? Hail damage of 2018 in Bordeaux. It was devastating. It was the one of the worst years ever in Bordeaux for hail damage. Um, let's see. Wine fraud in Rhone Valley, which I told you about because I heard about this when I was at Provine, was all this fake wine going into Cote de Rhone hurting real Rhone producers. So real Rhone, wow. produce, real Rhone producers had to adjust their pricing to keep up with all this cheap Cote de Rhone. Well, it turned out that they were throwing like Spanish random shit in, into Cote de Rhone bottles and wow. selling it. So I was literally told this year at Provine that all the Cote, real Cote de Rhone is going to go up in price because all the shit is now leaving the market. All the fake wine is leaving the market. Um, Ian J. Gallo buying Dave Finney's wines. Who's he? Orin Swift. Oh, okay. So, so Gallo bought all of Orin Swift and all his products. Which is like Papillon, D- Pardo. D- Duckhorn buying Costa Brown. That's right. I've got a bunch of Duckhorns we should drink one day for fun. Uh, Heights, one of the most iconic wineries there is being sold. Really? Who'd they, who bought them? Uh, somebody new. An agricultural guy named uh, Galen Lawrence. Oh, so a private guy, not like Constellation, one of those big dudes. Uh, Ulysses Valdez passing away, one of the greatest vintner or one of the greatest wine growers in America, vineyard managers. I mean, he he's he's basically like a another uh, best offer. Oh, Misueño, like um, Rolando Herrera, mm-hmm. one of those guys who came over to America, found a little niche up in the wine country, and turned out to be one of the greatest vineyard managers ever. You know, and he had his own winery, and we'll have Sean on to talk a little bit about him too, Sean Tevik, because he does Thomas George Winery, and oh, that Pinot's so good, yeah. And Thomas George had Ulysses Valdez Vineyards; those were actually wines produced off of Ulysses Valdez's vineyards mm. that he sourced from. But yeah, a lot of a lot of wine shit happened this year. A lot of everything happened this year. Everything happened this year. That's right. It, it was a weird year. Everything, everything it was, about this year was just a lot weird. of a lot of chaos. Chaos is a good word to put of twenty eighteen. It doesn't matter what it was. It's everything was so kind of thrown out there, and I don't know, man. It was it was like personally. Yeah, let me have some of that Tarasi. No, it's in a decanter. Twenty eighteen for me was um, very good and very eye opening. You know, we did this. We started this podcast. My winery was you know having some fun. We did a lot of cool new grapes and whatnot. I would say overall, twenty eighteen for me was a positive note, but mentally. Appallingly draining. <laughs> so I, I got away from TV. Actually, I think it was one of the biggest things I did was in 2018. Is once I stopped watching like any new stuff on TV, I felt a little bit better. But then I got on Reddit, and that ruined my life for a while. Got Reddit's a, the best rabbit hole ever. Yeah. So 2018 for me was a lot of looking forward to 2019. <laughs> <laughs> it's I have set some great goals for my life. I think that. I saw a downturn on some of my personal motivation. I've always been super motivated in everything I've ever done in life. And it was always, I'm going to kill it doing this. And I kind of hit that lull in life where I just wanted to kick back and relax in 2018. Where 2019 is the is going to be the year of the Damien. The year if, of the Damien? If, if this is a Chinese New a Year, Chinese the year, new year the it's the year of the Damien. So this what year. animal would you be if, well, if it was... Uh, if, if, <laughs> I, was born, I was born Year of the Dragon. I think. <laughs> All right. I like it. 76. I got screwed. I think I was born the year of the rat. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah. When I saw that as a kid, I was like, yes. 
from the, good. the Chinese New Year. You got the but, dragon. Excellent. But going going into this year, there's so much amazing stuff that's going to happen between th- this podcast, future wine shop happenings, everything that we're going to do. 2019 is going to be an amazing year for taking things to the next level. It's a whole new chapter for you and most likely for me soon. But man, it's a total restart. Like it's it's weird that one day, one day, December thirty first, January first, it you hit this day and it's a restart. And it's what you can do with it. And also, by the way, I always find it funny is <laughs> buy stock in gyms because you know they're gonna blow up now and everybody's gonna stop February. But for our goals, especially moving forward with this, you know, we keep to this. This is gonna be great. I mean, our, our podcast is fun. You know, the guests we're gonna have is are amazing. The drinks we'll have will be fantastic. I can't wait yeah. to get, get uh, like people who listen to this involved. It's funny, you know, everybody has that goal of you know I'm gonna I'm gonna lose weight going to the new year. Blah blah blah. blah. I'm gonna go on a fad diet. Or I'm gonna go to the gym. Yeah. I decided last year to change my diet completely. Yeah, but you did it what in. In the middle of it, like February, no. March, or summer, November yeah. of 2016. That's right, because you saw your that or picture of you and fish, and yes. you went, "Nope." Can't but look but like that. It, it was November when I started it, so it was bef- right before the New Year's. So now it's been 13 months. But so in 13 months, I've lost five inches off my waist and 30 pounds. Yeah, man, that's been so. awesome. I told you this. Yeah, and man, over the, you over, look the different o- person. O- over the last. Two weeks, I've gained probably a quarter of that back eating and drinking. You when your mom's in town. <laughs> oh, God. Mom's like, every night, I'm going to bake cheesecake, That cookies. cheesecake she made was delicious, but I could feel like... She called it cheesecake pudding. <laughs> the doing what was good, her chocolate cookies she had on Christmas night. Those, oh, those, those, oh, my God. They were so good. You have any left? Did you pound all those down? I might have woke up in the middle of the night and ate about 15 of them. <laughs> 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 that's when I do my worst damage. It's like two a, in the morning. Two in the morning. Wake up. I'm like, ooh, I'll have one. You should have like 12. an automatic lock on your door that only unlocks your door from like one a.m. or it's an automatic lock from like one a.m. to five a.m. Might be. See, every episode we just invent something. Oh. <laughs> you know what's gonna? That's a great idea. Till somebody gets burned out in a house because their lock wouldn't open. <laughs> oh God. However, it would be worth it for the millions of people who would lose weight. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's my weakness is like I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, there's cookies out there. I'm going to eat one of them. I've done that so many times. Yeah. I'm like, oh, like Joe gave me banana bread one time. That It was a vegan banana bread, which I don't I, It's banana bread. Isn't it already technically vegan? What, they not use eggs? I eggs, don't know. butter? Maybe. Maybe butter? Maybe. Yeah. Whatever. It was terrible is all I mean to say because it was a vegan banana bread. And you know what? I got, you know, nice and toasted one night from drinking whatever wine we were drinking. I decided to eat half of it and I regret it ever since. I mean, it's not vegan wine. I had a few messages from people on Reddit about the our vegan wine episode, our sulfite free wine. Good. Asking uh, my opinion on it. It's like, do you listen to the episode? Yeah, listen to the, listen to the episode. <laughs> I think we get a little opinionated. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've, I've been happy with this. You know, I think it's been fantastic. I think things going forward are going to get better. It's I have a lot of optimism for having such a uniquely weird year and all. Yes, t- 2019 is the year of spilling the truth. It's the year of uh, wine shop, wine club, wine website. Just constantly building new things. Yes, this is going to be a huge year for us. I already know it. Agreed. And what's funny is that we're talking about this, but we're drinking cheap ass wines. Uh, <laughs> well, one, of them, one of them's a cheap ass wine. All right, so so wait, wait. You went back and re-poured the Tarasi oh, yeah. out of the decanter. Oh, it's so different. How did it change? The nose opened up 
drastically. It smells like instead of me being able to shove my face into it and then smelling it, I can keep my like nose away from it about an inch and I can get a big whiff of this. Your words before were funky. It's no longer funky. It's more. All right. Hold on. How do I I do this right? Use your words, John. (laughs) It's. I I don't know what I'm getting on this nose. Like I'm actually. I'm torn because my brain wants to say some things, but I know it's not right. It's no, it's not a fruity nose anymore. No, it's earthy, but like not earthy in like a mushroomy, mossy, foresty way. Like earthy as in like I feel like maybe a scorched earth kind of a way. I'm going with the dried purple flowers. Dried purple flowers, like dried violets, not fresh. Like that almost bordering on rotting violets like a potpourri almost not quite so floral as potpourri if you took the shit from potpourri and you let it start to like rot a little bit and dry out it's like that and that's not rot in a bad way not like the one thing about this one is is it's real acidic i get i actually understand now that people say the barolo of the south it makes sense because the tannin on it's 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 not big tannin as what I was expecting, but the acidity is super high up there. And I don't know. What's the alcohol content on this, if you don't mind looking? I'm going to guess 14.5, 14, because that's what everybody puts. Taxes. <laughs> <laughs> like the way I sang that. Like, all right, oh, so, four, 14 even. All right, 14 even. So I don't feel the alcohol at all, which is nice. Tannin on it, it's... It's there. It's a little grainy underneath my gums, um, or more like my more my gums and my lips meet. The acidity though is definitely up there, but it's still it seems light. Like it's not a huge bodied wine. All it's right. soft. It's easy. It's not your favorite route of smooth. It's close. It's close to smooth. So so, you know, I know you're the guy that can always like taste a wine and be like, it's fourteen percent cabernet. It's thirteen percent merlot. It's sixty four percent this. Like you're crazy with that stuff. And me, <laughs> me I'm all about the varietal, or the varietal the, yeah, not the varietals, yeah. but the, the the flavors. I'm like, the mixture. Yeah. yeah, you could you could say I don't know if it's violets or strawberries, but I know it tastes like cabernet. Yeah. Whereas I'm like it's violets and, and strawberries, but I don't know what the varietal is. Like, if if somebody poured this to me and didn't tell me what it was, I would actually assume that this is a non this is gonna sound so weird because it might not make sense to like wine geeks but like a non-tannic petite verdot almost like an aged petite verdot smells and tastes a little similar ish to this um the, the nose is so intriguing in this because it is it's savory very sagey there's a lot to it it's super lots of fresh earth but like the earth will be like plants so i guess yeah like your violets and your your sage and stuff like there's no i'm not getting fruit anymore on it the funkiness is gone which is kind of nice but it is now now it is all it's a lot of inanimate objects not like i said not the fruit it's yeah and i'm not like smelling it going oh it's grandma's kitchen cabinet by the way there's a weird mocha nose in the back of that like a chocolatey mocha like almost if somebody had a mole kind of like being made in the background which I'm assuming is coming from, I'm imagining. It smells like there might be some French oak on this. I don't, I can't see American being us. I'm not tasting it. I get an inkiness. You ever, you ever remember when you were a kid and you would chew on the end of your pen and every once in a while it would blow up in your mouth? No, because I'm not weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It tastes like ink or it smells like ink. It's that ink flavor 
that I would get from chewing on my pens and they would accidentally blow up. I love, I love that <laughs> if a hundred people listen to this, there's going to be like five, go ahead and know exactly what he's talking about. Totally. <laughs> but these are the little things that I remember from like my childhood. And, but it has that... It, Dude, I'm not gonna lie. The La Crema Christi, if if Jesus is we haven't tears, gone back to it. I, I've been sitting same glass this whole time. If uh, if this is what Jesus' tears taste like, I'd make him cry pretty often. This is delicious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad it held up because this was a wine that I was very the wor- nose is worried so about. Awesome. The flavor of the wine definitely is definitely coming down. It's definitely on the back end of it, but the nose is so cool. Like. Mm, it's, it's, well, it's, it's got, it's got, definitely has some cap gun. Super herby and gunpowdery. Gunpowdery, big time. Yeah. It, it reminds me, it reminds me of the, when I was a kid and I had that cap gun with the red caps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd, fo- you'd fold up like 10 of them together and, and hit it with a rock it. to make yeah. them make it louder. Yeah. But that smell that would give off of that burned paper and gunpowder. Yeah, such a cool, like, like it smells like exactly that. Like if somebody took a burning wood, like let's say they had a campfire and they took all the fresh flowers and herbs around the area and they threw that in there as kindling. Like that's and, what this is smelling like to me. And, and I think that something that actually has been really fun about this is showcasing how these wines have changed over the last hour and a half because we originally did not decant these. We just opened them and poured them. Yeah. They're, they're both eight or nine years old, you know, as far as wines, 10 years old. Well, officially, in 12 hours, they'll be 10 years old, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be screwing up that date for a while. Well, technically, we have but to go off November and October. Technically, I know. But so, but the fact that we've been able to see how these wines have opened up and changed over an hour or two versus decanting, because sometimes I don't like to decant, because it's like going from point A to point D without the B and the C. Yeah. I like a little foreplay. I like to screw around a little bit and have some fun. <laughs> I don't need to get right down to down and dirty in business. Like half the fun is the foreplay. And when it comes up to a wine, it's very similar. Like I want to see what it's like in the beginning, in the middle. And it's funny you say that because there are some wines you can open up like this bell star and go straight to point D. Totally. Well, there's nothing else. It's, it's, it's from, well, that's just a to B. There is no, you know, nothing in the middle. Yeah. Whereas something like these, there's so much to enjoy and see how it changes and to play with a little bit. You got to have a little fun with them and, I really, I'm glad we did decant the Tarasi an hour later just to kind of push it to see where it's going to go. Yeah. But I think, I think this is a wine that I could literally pour it back in the bottle and into the decanter and it'll change again. You know what the, 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 the Jesus tears is tasting like to me? Imagine a pizza without mozzarella sauce. So you get your sauceless pizza that they put a lot of like arugula on, maybe some prosciutto, maybe some cheese, but no sauce. It's dry. Burnt bread. But well, without, burnt, but without the crazy burnt, burnt part. No, like it, when you when you when you go to like Pomo or Bianco and that like the where the pizza crust has touched the the yes. oven, you get that like it's yes. not, not not where it's overpowering, but it's subtly there in the background. It, like you got the one little. Pe- it's not yeah. it's not the burnt bread your mom tried to like scrape the burnt <laughs> off before she handed it to you. Yeah, exactly. But it's like the burnt you want to enjoy the part that was closest to the brick oven. Part. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like we go to we go to. Uh, Craft 64. Oh yeah, cra- uh, cra- yeah. Well, next door neighbors. So, so where where those where the pizza is a little closer to the brick oven, it tends to be a little more toasted. Toasted. And, and I, I don't want to say, with, I don't the, say burnt. Yeah, it makes people's perceptions sometimes think like, but it'll be dark. It'll be almost be black. Yeah, but it has that not not burnt to where you're like you, yes. you bite it and you're like, oh, that's bad. And I don't eat, but like, yeah, just crispy enough where it, it's not burnt yet, but it's right there. It's on the border. Would you it. dare say slightly volcanic? 
<laughs> I would say Jesus Jesus tears. I Fucking love that Jesus hashtag tears. Jesus tears. Hashtag Jesus tears. So so when we put this episode up and I put hashtag Jesus tears, will, do you think this will be the only if I click it will be the only link to Jesus tears? Probably you should tag like Westboro Baptist Church and that too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they like going after podcasts. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't mind having a hate uh, a hate podcast one day where all the like Westboro Baptist people hate us for drinking Jesus tears. Imagine if they're like outside my house with like protesting. God hates wine. What? Um, I do love that. Pretty that, that, sure that's in the Bible that he I had a say, magic his talent. First, his first miracle. Maybe this was it. Maybe that's this is one, uh, one of his greatest talents. Turn, yeah. wa- turn water into wine. Water into wine, which is technically what we all do, anyways. I turn just wi- way more sophisticated. I turn wine into pee, but hey, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly where it goes. Yeah, <laughs> about that At point that, too. That's officially my talent. <laughs> it's a, that's a that's a talent you and the entire population <laughs> of the world shares. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I mean, I'll be honest though. I still put NS like FW like not safe for work on the podcast, even though they're. For the most part, we're not, deserved. Bad, we're not dropping too many f bombs, but I don't necessarily want this played at a preschool. We're dropping f bombs. Yeah, well, I if there's a teacher at preschool, all the kids are asleep listening to us. Uh, Look us up. We want you on the show. Good for you. <laughs> we love it. Um, you know, please don't drink too much around those children. Uh, but thanks for supporting us. You ever seen that meme that goes around? It's like a it's a wine bottle, and on the front there's like a picture of a kid, and it says something along the lines of like. Here's a gift for Christmas. I'm giving this because just, like my kid is the reason you drink. I saw one with the bosses. I'm clearly the reason you drink. Yes. So this one's for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen with like the kids like to give like teachers. I'm like, that's brilliant. Oh my god, teachers would be so happy. Just like the the Vuvu Coke bottle I got for moving in. For moving in, yeah. It, it it's is, the little things in life. So it was a Vuvu bottle, but the package was a miniature mailbox. So, of course, a realtor is like, I got a gift for you. And he gives me this little miniature yellow mailbox with a Vuv logo. And it's got a little yellow flag on it or a little red flag. I'm like, that is freaking adorable. Whatever money they put into that marketing of that, well worth it. Absolutely. I'm not That bottle, I have long since thrown away. The mailbox is sitting right next to us, yeah. like in the cabinet. Like, yeah. great marketing. Oh, dude, I see it all the time. Look, do one of my honestly, I think it's one of the best marketing things I've seen in a long time is Dom Perignon has neon bottles. So when you're in a club, it's purple, green, or blue neon outline logo. So when they're carrying it around, you see across the distance that that shield and the labeling because it's lit up. It is genius of uh, what they did for that. I'm curious to the feedback from the winery of Dom Perignon or Moet from the Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> Moet Shandon. Yeah, but how, what did they think of it? They, have, they, they laughed and said did, nothing, did, did which they is have, probably the smart thing. Did they have to sign off on it? Did they just let it go? Did they try it's to... It's probably free, uh, what's um, the term for it? Uh, but if right, I make if, I don't know. If, if I make a, a parody commercial about Coca-Cola, I'm assuming Coca-Cola might end up suing me. I don't think, I think depends on who you are. If you're SNL, you don't take on NBC's lawyers. Good point. Like it, they, they probably, I'm sure went, uh, it's like, it's like a roast. Like you get poke fun at, you're not going to go after them, but it's not by somebody who's just crapping on you on Twitter. They probably knew ahead of time, like, all right, we can drop as many references as we want. They can't do anything about it. Yeah, probably. But that has gotten so much press. Like, I mean, honestly, I can't pop a bottle of champagne without being. Like, Moet Chandler. Yeah. 
Did yeah. somebody say celebrate? Is somebody say bubble? <laughs> yeah. It's, that, it's, that was a great one. It really no, is. No, yeah. they, they did a great job on that little skit, but I, I'm curious to what like Moe Shembem thought about it. <laughs> or or Dom Perignon. Dom Perignon. <laughs> I've heard that once before, and I it caught me off guard enough where I was like, yeah, we... Uh, I'm sorry, what? Oh, yeah, Dom Perignon. I was like, uh, okay, I'll get the Dom Perignon for you. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. There's some. There's so many things, obviously, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but there's certain wines that we know. Like, people say Moet, and I'm 99% sure it is Moet. But I hear most people say Moet, and I'm almost positive it's Moet. Like, people who represent them have said Moet. I think it's Moet because that's the whole thing with Gruet. Yeah. It's not Gruet, it's Gruet. It's Gruet. But people, for some reason, associate... Uh, like an accent, not even the, not even like French or Spanish, like just an accent towards. That's how they're gonna say. People that. will put an accent on a foreign word because they think it sounds right. Yes, like moe sounds fancy, even though it's actually moet. Like they don't want to associate it. Just it's a hard word. So, yeah, that's 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 unique. <laughs> that's actually something we should, as we have these people on the show and guests, we should definitely talk about it because my pronunciations are bad too, and I try and be a wine professional. And sometimes I'm, I still butcher stuff. I mean, there's a lot of words I don't pronounce correctly. I know that. Yeah. Well, the nice thing will be is, all right, so like like I said, next week we have our boy James Chowan from uh, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy Group. He's going to bring out some awesome shit. you say shit Louis Vuitton? That, yeah, Louis Vuitton. What? All right. That's a that's a, a purse company. Yeah, but that's the company who owns It's Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, LVMH is okay. the main group. Did, did you know that? I didn't know. So Louis Vuitton owns Moe Hennessy, so they, or maybe vice versa, either way, but it's LVMH is Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy. Sweet. It's the same massive brand corporation now at this point in time, you know, as everybody consolidates. And, you know, their brands are, if I'm not mistaken, I know for a fact, Runar, Vuv, and Dom are in there. I'm pretty sure there's also Krug and I don't know, maybe a, I think Moe Shandon. Yeah, well, obviously Moe Hennessy. So we can ask him these questions. He'll know. So this is Moet. I just said Moe. See, I do it just like yeah, out totally. of habit. Yeah. So we'll have that episode next week yep. with, with the champagnes. We're going to have one more episode beforehand. Yes. So uh, this is our New Year's episode. So we're going to go ahead and post this today. So those of you who are listening and are going to listen, this is today's New Year's episode. Uh, the next one that we're going to post is all about wine movies. Excellent. That'll be coming later this week. And we're we, going uh, to talk all about the Rudy movie. We're going to talk about Red Obsession. Some documentaries. Documentaries, everything. Yeah. And we're going to drink an old ass, like 15-year-old Monterey wine, which is really fun to just break out because we were shocked by what it is. Yeah. And for the rest of us who are kind of similar in us, you know, if you're just hanging around for New Year's and kind of just taking it easy on the day, it's a good one to listen to. Plus, it gives you a bunch of movie ideas to listen to and hang out, you know, and watch and drink with. So, final thoughts on... Uh, the drinks we had. I like start the way, with the Bell Star. I like the way we finish this always off with final thoughts. Yeah. I noticed that. So Bell Star Prosecco, honestly, good, affordable Prosecco. Horrible to store this in your cabinet because <laughs> of the shape of the bottle. <laughs> Just impossible. to be blunt. It's impossible to like... Imagine stacking it in my shelving unit over here. Like They would fall out. They yeah. wouldn't work. It's um, literally as wide as a football. <laughs> yeah. just. But... You know what? I brought this to many parties. Always a crowd pleaser. Good I, crowd pleaser. I will definitely recommend this to anybody. It comes out of one of the, the better regions or the best region for making Prosecco, which is Valdo Biadene. We'll get more into that in a future episode. Yeah. Um, we do more focused ones. But, but when it comes to Prosecco, you know, Bellstar is a great producer. Stick to Bisol, Bellstar, something out of Valdo Biadene, you'll be fine. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you nailed it. 
with everything. I think it's a perfectly refreshing, easy drink of Prosecco. You said it was what, less than 15 bucks? Yeah, most I'm, likely. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel with the like drinking this. This isn't nah. champagne. This isn't like, oh, it's this is the the confirmation of my goddaughter. This is yeah. this is let's and, just Tuesday afternoon, let's oh, drink absolutely. some bubbles. And I will tell you, if you bring this bottle to a party, it's a very noticeable bottle. It's very distinct. It's got a cool little symbol on it. People would definitely know you brought it because it was definitely yep. fun to drink. And then the uh, so moving to the Christ tears, Je- Jesus tears, Jesus tears. Uh, this I honestly was real happy about this because you actually set the bar low on it when we I grabbed did. it. You were like, I don't think it makes it. It's not meant to. I don't know. I think for a really cool red wine, I, we'll definitely one day come back and try a fresh one, like way down the line, and we do some more Terradora stuff. Um, if this is at nine years old and I'm loving how this drinks, the nose is amazing. It's real unique. It's going to bring back memories for you that, you know, you'll have. And as a flavor wise, it's definitely coming, it's definitely coming down. It's not like a real fruity wine. It's very light and basic. It'll probably pair up with some nice food, but and you, it's soft. You will be able to find La Crema Christi Rosos out there. La Crema Christi Rosso is a DOC. By law, it has to be Pedro Rosso grape. There's laws to go into what can go into this and how it has to be produced. So just because we're drinking a wine called La Creme, it's not like drinking The Prisoner and somebody else makes a wine called The Convict and it's like completely different, <laughs> yeah. you know? If you're drinking Jesus Tears, Jesus Tears, Jesus Tears. They're, yeah. They're, yeah, they're red feet. It's because it's the the legacy of this region. So That's awesome. Um, and you say this is out there, like in a good... You, could, you can find... Teradoras, or you can find other producers. They are not widely available because, once again, esoteric Italian stuff isn't always the easiest to find. Mm-hmm. But you go to the right wine shops, you talk to the white wine or the right wine purveyors, they can get you these wines and try something like this. And these are fun to bring. Like pick, pick, pick a theme for a wine party and say we're bringing volcanic wines. Bring stuff from Ooh, that's cool one. Bring stuff from Washington. Bring stuff from. Uh, Mount Etna, bring stuff from Vesuvius. Like you can do a theme party about yeah, like vol- St. Helena vo- vo- in uh, Napa. Volcanic wines. That'd be a fun little like idea That's for a, a party. That's a cool idea. I like that. So how about the Tarasi? Uh, it's home That's run. That's a big gun. Home run. I mean, this is it's Barolo of the South. You, we have something very much in common. And it's the love of Barolo. Yes. It's something that I think that as you keep getting older, your love of Barolo is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. The other night at dinner, I tasted you on a Barolo, and you could tell me if it was from North, South, East, or West Barolo. Like you knew what part of like the region it came from by tasting it. Absolutely. And I think that this is a cool thing about Barolo is you know, while you and I will drink it, it will never be a wine that gets old to me. And I love that about it. And I will say, I think I think this is a very cool representation of how a wine can age gracefully and well. Even if, by the way, with we don't truly know the storage. I know Damien's house. I know how we store things. There's a hot wall here. There's a sun-facing thing here. It may have been a fridge or not. This wine, we're not totally sure how it aged, and it came out delicious. Stunning. Stunning. Yeah, and when we poured it from the bottle, it was a real tight, funky nose, and then Damien poured it in a decanter, what, like an hour into the podcast? And it just opened up drastically, and it smells so unique. Like it's gonna give you a whole bunch of different spectrums of no, uh, smells and characteristics, and that it's you, it's got a little grip to it, but yet it's still easy to drink. It's an awesome wine. Yeah, home run is. I think you nailed it. You, you get a lot of similar Barolo characteristics. You're still getting a little bit of tar and a little bit of tea leaf, and it could be it could be deceiving if if someone told me this is an Italian wine that's ten years old. Tell me what it is. And I smelled it. Oh, I, it doesn't feel 10 years old. I might actually guess Nebbiolo. I would have, honestly, uh, with the way it looks, 
the, the, the way it tastes and it comes the, off the bricky edges, the, bricky the color, edges, exactly. It's deceiving. I think the only thing that would have thrown me off a hair is it's not as tannic, which I think is kind of cool. I, I will say I absolutely believe in we don't have any food in front of us. This is a super food friendly wine. I think this would make a meal better versus you drink the Bell Star by itself and the uh, the crate, the Jesus Tears would be probably a by itself wine. I, I think this, this, is a, this is an awesome lineup today, man. I was, I was really happy about I guess this. A good, way, good way to end 2018, get ready for 2019, because 2019 is going to be a lot of big wines. 2019, Zima 2.0. Let's Ooh. do this. <laughs> Should we blind taste your champagne guy on Zima? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, no. We want him to come back. No, 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 no. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a blind tasting on Zima, Smirnoff Ice, Mike's Hard Lemonade. Yes. What what's another but dumpster fire? We, we can't drink. We can't do that without having a, a, an MW or like a, <laughs> a, a Master Saman. Yes. You ha- yeah. yes. Yeah. You can't do that with an ordinary person. You gotta oh. have somebody for real on. It'd we should fun. pour it into a champagne bottle too to really fuck with them. Awesome, dude. Excellent, dude. Let's wrap this up, man. I love it. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We're glad you've joined our podcast and have listened more. We can't wait to bring more in 2019. Uh, We're going to do some awesome wines, awesome guests. Big things coming. Uh, We've got a lot going on. Theme music. Hopefully some live streams once in a while on maybe like Twitch or YouTube where we could taste along with you guys at the same time. Websites coming out. We got so much cool like stuff coming up. Like we're so excited, man. This was the preseason and we're about to get ready for the actual season. This is the last game of preseason. Last preseason game. People getting cut. Certain wines are going away. Done. All right, man. Thanks, guys. Everybody have a wonderful night tonight. Uh, We hope your Christmas was amazing, your Hanukkah was amazing, and New Year's is fantastic for you. Drink some cool-ass stuff, and feel free to share on Instagram, Twitter, all the social media, because we'd love to see what you guys are all drinking, too. Ooh, great idea. Yeah, please uh, share with us. We'd love to see. Thanks, guys. Love you. Awesome. Happy New Year. Happy New Year's.